home right now, you know what I'm saying? Dolomite, man. Soundproof, man. It's family right now, you know what I'm saying? Straight gutter shit, man. That's how we do. Hey, yo, street life, man. It's all day, every day, man. Wherever you at, wherever you lay, man. It's what we do. From the killer, killer hill We keep it real consistent for that dollar, dollar bill We will murder you in an instant Fuck what your name is, you be non-existent If you ever try to show any forms of resistance I'm strong in the hood, I'm in a good position When I walk, they salute, when I talk, they all listen You act in the park like you in no tradition We shoot out in the parks, it's a daily tradition This is modern warfare, we play with Alright, here we go, Saturday, 1.02pm here on May 30th, 2020. Thanks, guys, for checking out the podcast. It is BK here yet again. Please follow me on Twitter at Bravo Kilo Actual, and you can check out the Instagram at BK Actual. Let's dive right into it, you guys, and let's get started with, of course, what else? The riots and that have been going on now for the better part of the week. And let's go to the New York Times. They're doing a running a live updates page here and officials yes are preparing for a fifth night of protests in minneapolis and said it could be the most explosive yet it's really unbelievable governor tim walls of minnesota said on saturday that he was activating thousands of additional national guard troops to send to minneapolis and the army ordered troops to stand by on call after those protesters had turned out for a fourth night in a row on friday burning buildings to the ground and overwhelming officers. Uh, Now, Waltz, interestingly enough today, is saying these rioters who have been causing the damage, and this is a group that he said was different from demonstrators who have been protesting the death of George Floyd. Of course, the African-American man who died after being pinned down by a white officer earlier this week. Now, the former officer named Derek Chauvin was charged with murder on Friday. I've got more on that in a moment. Now, the move by Waltz to activate all the state's available guard troops, which number up to 13,200 troops, comes after protesters defied a newly imposed curfew on Friday night and set a string of businesses on fire, including a bank, a restaurant, and a gas station. And yes, they did say there had been tens of thousands of people in the streets. Now, more law enforcement officers will be patrolling the streets in Minneapolis and St. Paul than ever before, and Walls said he would also not rule out requesting a few hundred additional troops from the federal government. Meanwhile, at the behest of President Trump, the Defense Department ordered the Army to prepare active-duty military police units to deploy from several Army bases to Minneapolis. Now, this move does not mean that the units will be activated, but it is a first step towards doing so. And deploying military police units would represent an escalation in the government response to the unfolding events. Uh, Of course, military police units were used in 1992 in the L.A. riots, if you didn't know. Uh, now, Minnesota officials said it appeared that some of the more violent protesters from were from out of state and that the people who defied the curfew on Friday had launched fireworks at police cars, uh, set cars and buildings on fire, and forced guard troops to retreat at one point before those guard troops returned to clear people away from the police department's 5th precinct, which they were also trying to burn down, after burning the 3rd precinct to the ground 
uh, several nights before, and I'll have a lot to say on that in a moment. Now, the police did begin arresting these protesters shortly before midnight when they surrounded that 5th precinct. But this time, the cops did not shamefully, in my opinion, flee from the building. That was a total embarrassment. Now, meanwhile, Trump on Saturday today criticized the authorities in Minnesota for allowing the protesters to turn violent and did offer that military help. Uh, Trump said, quote, they, speaking of the police, will have to get tougher. And by being tougher, they will be honoring his memory, talking about George Floyd. And he went on to say, when I saw the policeman running out of a police station, for that police station to be abandoned and taken over, I've never seen anything so horrible and stupid in my life, end quote. Uh, so then... Uh, Trump also praised the Secret Service's response to the early White House protest. You guys probably saw the White House actually at one point went into lockdown. Huge shout out to the Secret Service. I know I have many Secret Service listeners, and I was watching carefully last night and rooting for them, just being spat upon and shit thrown at them. Freaking made me sick, honestly. Uh, so remember... Some of the other quick things that happened over the last couple of days. I'm going to try to get through this quickly, guys. There was so much to cover. Remember, Trump tweeted famously when he called the protesters of Minneapolis, quote, thugs, end quote, and said, quote, when the looting starts, the shooting starts, end quote. Now, that comment echoed a phrase coined by a Miami police chief in the 1960s about crackdowns on black neighborhoods during times of unrest, and that's when Twitter labeled the tweet as violating its terms of service for, quote, glorifying violence, end quote, which was funny because I was monitoring Twitter pretty hard the last couple days watching all this fucking shit show unfold, and I can tell you I saw tons of tweets from people with very large Twitter followings uh, basically praising all the arson and looting. Uh, none of them had any labels on their tweets, and I would... Ask, you know, the, all these labels that you're trying to do now. It's, as I said on Twitter, it's a total fucking losing game. How are you going to possibly, like, be the fact checker? And then who fact checks the fact checker? Where are the shades of gray? We'll get into that more in a moment, too. Let me just go through this a little bit more. Now, Attorney General William Barr, who has vowed for a swift federal investigation into Floyd's death, also weighed in on Saturday, issuing a stern warning to left-wing agitators, who he said were exploiting the protests to pursue their own goals. And yes, that uh, if in case I didn't make it clear last week or on the Jesse Kelly show at my uh, at our usual segment this week, uh, that was a total disgrace. I have the audio clip of it. I'm gonna play it in a little bit. Uh, that cop was uh, completely out of line. It was horrible. The guy's down on the ground in handcuffs, and you're just, like, choking him out to death. And and the three guys watching, you're also a disgrace for allowing it to happen. You got a guy face down in handcuffs, and you're kneeling on his neck, and there's four of you, and you're so chicken shit that you sit there and, like, choke a guy to death. I mean, honestly, fucking turn in your badge. Absolutely should be charged with murder. Now, that does not excuse any of the goddamn nonsense that I saw the rest of the week. So uh, let's just keep going around the U.S. Now, these rallies went way beyond Minneapolis with protesters destroying police vehicles in Atlanta and New York and blocking major streets in San Jose and Detroit. Crowds in Milwaukee chanted. Uh, demonstrators in Portland, Oregon lit a fire inside the Multnomah County Justice Center. 
Hundreds of demonstrators poured into the streets near Atlanta's Centennial Olympic Park, smashing windows and clashing with police officers. Not far away, some people climbed atop a large red CNN sign outside the media company's headquarters and spray-painted messages on it. Others shattered windows at the College Football Hall of Fame where people rushed in and promptly looted the place. Uh, Mayor Keisha Bottom, Lance Bottoms of Atlanta, I have a clip of her later, said, quote, Why are you changing by tearing up a city? You've lost all credibility now, indeed, end quote. Uh, protests in Los Angeles ended with more than 500 arrests. The LAPD released a statement that it was still assessing damage. The police in Houston arrested nearly 200 people. Uh, in New York, thousands of people attempted a demonstration at the perimeter of Barclays Center in Brooklyn, where some hurled bottles and debris at police officers and then promptly responded with pepper spray. You probably saw that burning police NYPD van. And more protests are expected for tonight because why wouldn't you keep going? As I said on Twitter, this I've never guys, I've never seen anything like this in my entire life. This has been, I've never remember the same people who two weeks ago were calling those guys who stood around in the Michigan state Capitol. They were calling them terrorists. They wanted them. Those guys broke no laws. They destroyed no property. And now you have fucking people literally burning entire city blocks to the ground, mass looting, mass arson, and if not tacit approval, it's completely outright approval by almost everyone. Have you seen it's that Atlanta mayor? Hey, kudos to her. She's probably the first elected Democrat I've seen who is very tough on the protesters. And, and I'm just going to call, like, you see, guys, I, I know I have many African-American listeners. Look, I don't know what it's like to be a black male in America, and I never will, okay? And I'm not going to pretend I do. Uh, but I have no patience for looting and rioting and arson. So, dude, you know what? March to the streets? Fine. Scream at the cops all you want? Fine. Get out the fucking silly outfits and the bullhorns and the, um, and the street theater, you know? All, for the protests, all that, I'm good with all of it. Once you start throwing bricks at the cops, they're going to come back hard, and that's what should have happened immediately. That first night in Minneapolis, once they saw it, if they would have cracked down hard immediately, they might have nipped some of this stuff in the bud. But because the mayor of Minneapolis, Jacob Frey, is a far-left social justice warrior, he did nothing. He did, he I'm I'm saying he literally did nothing. He didn't talk, he didn't tweet. What have I told you guys all these years about these left-wingers in municipal politics, the attorneys general, the mayors? They're in they've infested every large city with their nonsense. And basically Jacob Frey at the end of the day let these arsonists, looters run wild through his city and burn down completely city blocks, causing what's going to be billions in damage because he was afraid of being called a racist if he cracked down on it. That's the truth. I'm the only guy who's willing to say it. You guys all know it. I mean, have you ever seen such widespread approval for people looting? I was cracking up on Twitter. I'm like, fucking imagine if those guys at the Michigan State Capitol had even like set a trash can on fire 
the fucking media would be saying that the National Guard should start machine gunning the place using live rounds. You fucking know it, and I fucking know it. But no, you couldn't find one. And all the woke vets who were, I, I was giving it to them pretty hard. I was going through all their tweets about the guys in Michigan, the lockdown protesters, where they're basically one one goofball. I'm not even gonna give his Twitter handle, but you can if you follow me on Twitter at Bravo Kilo, actually you can go see. I think I ended up deleting the tweets because I just didn't want to deal with it. But I, I quote tweeted one goofball when he was talking about the Michigan protesters. He was like, I haven't, this is what he said on Twitter. He was like, I have a degree in international relations. This is literally terrorism. And he was talking about the Michigan state protesters, right? He didn't say jack shit. And I was, I was giving it to him pretty hard. I'm like, Hey, um, you know what? They just burnt down a police station. Is this literally terrorism? Of course there was no answer from that, but man, it's unbelievable. And yes, there are long-standing issues, and it's fucked up what a lot of police have done to African Americans over the years. Fucking absolutely. That does not give you a free license to burn down a city. And if you don't contain this, it they're just gonna keep going. I said three days ago, I was the only guy on the internet, I think, saying this is just gonna keep going because nobody wants to stop it. Why would you stop if there's no consequences? So now they're, I mean, if you shit, man, if you want to get yourself some good new gear, go loot the local Versace store and the Chanel store and any other store at the mall because nobody's stopping you and nobody has any interest in stopping it, clearly. So you might as well keep going, and they're going to keep going. It finally looks like uh, they must be getting some bad poll numbers now because laughably this morning, okay, here's what happened. The governor came out, Tim Walls, and he said, this is a lot of outside agitators now. Clearly, clearly it is. And when I, I was watching it very closely, there was plenty of white people looting and robbing and committing arson. Absolutely. And a lot of it, yes, is these Antifa types, the anti-fascists, right? But he also said there's a lot of like you know white nationalists on the internet instigating it. And from that, that kind of morphed into it's white nationalists committing all the arson and looting while the uh, black people have been complete angels. That's literally, guys, I'm not even kidding, that is the uh, left-wing talking point right now before I started recording this podcast. They're really going to try to say that. I'm like, They're really going to try to tell you when you saw with your own two eyes hours and hours of video of people of all races committing horrible crimes, like looting, arson, and the fucking police station, by the way, Okay, you know what? That You can't have that. You, otherwise, you have fucking anarchy. And for the cops, that's basically abandoning your post. They abandoned their post. They got overrun. <laughs> so, I know this is not cool to say any of this, and I'm so lame. But this is like, okay, do you want, do you want law enforcement and a civilization or not? Be, or, or what's your plan? To just with, pull all the cops out of all the neighborhoods? Okay, fucking go ahead and do that. Let's see how it goes. I'll call that bluff, because I saw a lot of that going around. We don't need police in our neighborhoods. Uh, the only violence comes when those blue badge terrorists comes around. Okay, well then let's fucking get everybody out of there. Then let nature take its course. I'm fine with that. Just don't come fucking crying to the police when shit gets out of hand. And shit, it, you're going to see, shit is going to get out of hand, because all the message has been so far is that because of this, these four fucking piece of shit cops, 
Now it's like a total war on the police and every cop is bad. And the social media and the internet makes it 10 times worse because now everybody's filming this for clout on Instagram and shit and getting videos. And every time like a cop has to deal with some fuck face, he's surrounded by like 50 people with cell phone video cameras. It's a tough job, man. Uh, I, again, I, I don't, I'm going to have to keep saying this, that cop's a piece of shit and he definitely should, deserves a murder charge. And the other four, the other three guys probably do too, at least a manslaughter charge. So, uh, very little sympathy for them, but you can't, you just can't have this. Uh, Minnesota's top officials did acknowledge today that they had underestimated the destruction that protesters in Minneapolis were capable of inflicting. Yeah, it was funny. They first they did nothing, right? And then they instituted a curfew that was very strict. So it was like totally incoherent, right? For you allow them to do nothing, then you put in a strict curfew. There's no in between, right? Which the protesters promptly ignored and they didn't enforce anyway. Uh they just say they don't have the numbers. Uh let me see, whatever. Now, uh Jacob Frey, who's quite woke, the mayor of Minneapolis is now on Twitter pleading for residents to go home and stop burning down the local businesses. Okay. Well, again, why would they? There's no consequences. Uh, of course, the officer, Derek Chauvin, 44, was charged with third-degree murder and second-degree manslaughter, charges that come with a combined maximum sentence of 35 years. I saw a lot of people on the internet like, oh, you should get the death penalty. Well, first of all, there's no death penalty in Minnesota, which, hey, I'm wildly for the death penalty, so that's your own fault. Second of all, if it's a, you can't, they're not going to charge him with first degree murder. Would you rather have them charged with first degree murder and then him get acquitted? Or would you rather get the 35 years in prison? Like almost automatically. So the investigation into the other three officers who were present at the scene does remain ongoing. Now, third-degree murder does not require an intent to kill, only that the perpetrator caused someone's death in a dangerous act, quote, without regard for human life, end quote. Now, charges of first- and second-degree murder require prosecutors to prove, in almost all cases, that the perpetrator made a decision to kill the victim. And it's funny, his wife divorced him too. <laughs> if you guys didn't see that. Uh, so, okay, so that's that. Let's go to actually what happened. What led up to all this? The actual incident itself. Remember, Chauvin was moonlighting as a security guard. And George Floyd, who is 46 years old, by the way, <clears throat> provided security at a Salvation Army store. And crazily enough, they both worked at the same Minneapolis Latin nightclub as security. I don't know if they knew each other at all or not. Uh, so their paths finally crossed on a Memorial Day evening, Monday evening, outside a corner store known as the best place in town to find menthol cigarettes, as the New York Times writes. So Mr. Chauvin knelt down on Mr. Floyd behind a police vehicle outside the store. For 8 minutes and 46 seconds, the police officer pressed his knee into Mr. Floyd's neck in silence, staring towards the ground as his captive gasped repeatedly that he could not breathe. Bystanders, of course, you know, recorded it all, cursed, pleaded for help. Finally, Floyd went unresponsive. 
Now, the case began with a report of a counterfeit $20 bill that a storekeeper said Floyd tried to pass to buy cigarettes. Um, so, according to witnesses' cell phone and surveillance video, they kind of talk about how the actual arrest unfolded. So Floyd walks into a place called Cup Foods, which is a store. The store clerk claims that he paid for cigarettes with a counterfeit $20 bill. The police got a call from the store at 8.01 p.m. And the guy who took the money ran outside and said Floyd was sitting on their car. The store clerk actually demanded to have the cigarettes back. But according to a transcript of the call to the police, the clerk said, quote, but he doesn't want to do that, and he's sitting on his car because he's awfully drunk and he's not in control of himself. He's not acting right, end quote. So the dispatcher asked for a description. The caller described the man as tall, bald, and about six feet tall. The caller said he was African-American. Uh, so... Not long after, another regular customer and a former employee of the store arrived at the store, and the police were already outside. Uh, so the clerk held up a folded bill and showed it to Stately, this regular customer. The bill was an obvious fake. She said the ink on it was still running. Okay, so this is some half-assed, real counterfeit job, right? So Stately says she then saw an officer approach Mr. Floyd with his hand at his gun on his hip. The charging documents say that the officers found Floyd in a parked blue car with two passengers. Soon, additional police units arrived, and the two officers tried to get Mr. Floyd into a police vehicle, but he struggled. The charging document said, quote, Mr. Floyd did not voluntarily get in the car and struggled with the officers, intentionally falling down, saying he was not going in the car and refusing to stand still, end quote. So they then tried to place him in the police car. And even before he was placed on the ground, Mr. Floyd said, began saying repeatedly that he could not breathe. So at 819... Chauvin, the cop, pulls Floyd out of the passenger side of the squad car. Mr. Floyd hit the ground face down, handcuffs still on. One of the cops held his back while Officer Thomas Lane held his legs. And that's when Chauvin lodged his left knee in the area of Floyd's head and neck, and Floyd continued to protest. One of the officers dismissed his pleas, saying, quote, you're talking fine, end quote. In other words, oh, if you're talking, how can you say you not breathe? That crap. So then at 8.24 p.m., he stopped moving. One of the cops checked for a pulse. He could not find one. Still, none of the officers moved. And then at 8.27 p.m., 8 minutes and 46 seconds after he had lowered himself onto Floyd's neck, the officer, Chauvin, finally released his knee. So that's kind of like just how uh, all of it unfolded. Now, let's play a little bit of the actual video and let's see what we can hear. Here we go. Some of, some of the bystanders. I cannot breathe in the red. I cannot breathe. You just a grown guy. You're a tough guy. You're a tough guy, huh? You're a tough guy. He's not even resisting the red, bro. His whole nose is gone. You fought with him? Bro, why you just sitting there? He ain't doing nothing now. Put him in the car. How long I got to hold him down? Why don't you do drugs, kids? It ain't about drugs, bro. 
Okay, and uh, that that that's not me. The the video is sped up. Here we go. Bro, he doesn't have a bro. He's not fucking moving. No, did they fucking kill him, bro? Bro, they bro, kill him. Was you 1087, bro? You're a oh bum, bro. Or 987, bro? You're a bum. First thing you wanna grab is your mace, cause you scared, bro. Scared of fucking minorities, you fucking bum, bro. Like, bro, three minutes, bro. He's not fucking moving. Bro, he's not even fucking moving. Get off of his fucking neck, bro. Get off of his neck. Are you serious? Okay, I'm just gonna stop it there. Just fucking terrible. Uh, it is absolutely was terrible. Uh, so anyway, I'll get to some more videos in a moment. I have another story here about the governor in that press conference this morning. Uh, where Governor Tim Walz said those reports of white supremacists are taking advantage of the anarchy folding. Uh, when asked by a reporter if Walls was aware of rumors that white supremacists had joined some of the looting, he said, based on my suspicions and what I've seen on this, yes. And then he went on to say, quote, it gets worse than that. The cartels, who are wondering if there was a break in their drug transmissions, are trying to take advantage of the chaos. That's why this situation is on a federal level, unquote. All right, so I, I, I don't know. Is it possible? Sure, I'm sure. I mean, what you know what? If you lived right there and you saw widespread looting and it was like high-end gear, sure, I can imagine all kinds of people, white supremacists, cartel members, whoever, just, hey, yeah, I'll get in on that. Shit, the place is already on fire, right? Uh, I actually have a little bit from Walls's, uh press conference. So let's hear what he says right here. Here we go. The situation is incredibly dangerous. Uh, the situation is, is fluid. It is dynamic. Uh, I would, first of all, thank all Minnesotans who chose to protect our cities, who chose to protect their neighbors and stay home. Thank you for that. To all of the first responders who are out there, um, from firefighters to National Guard uh, to, uh, to line crews uh, to utilities workers who are out there to keep us safe, I, I want to thank you for that. Um, law enforcement is responding that the best they can uh, in this situation. We'll get you all of the numbers that are out there. I, I want to say, first of all, um, I myself can, can fully understand the rage. I spoke this evening to, uh, to George Floyd's siblings. Uh, quite extensively. Uh, I understand that rage. We've talked about it. We, we understand what has to happen. Um, what's going on out there right now is not that. Uh, the wanton destruction, and specifically of ethnic businesses that took generations to build, are being torn down. Um, all of those infrastructures of, of civil society and the things that make our city great, which, which lends me to believe as we look at this, um, the disenfranchisement that, that went with uh, what we witnessed with, with George's death is one thing, um, but the absolute chaos, th this is not grieving, and, and this, is not, uh, this is not making a statement no, that, that we 
fully acknowledge. Okay, each. all right, I'll stop there. Again, you know, you just you just can't have this. You know, if you want a functioning society in the United States. Uh, so then, uh, Attorney General Bill Barr weighed in just this morning on the same topic. Let's listen to Attorney General Barr. Initial charges have been filed by the state. That process continues to move forward, and justice will be served. Unfortunately, with the rioting that is occurring in many of our cities around the country, the voices of peaceful protest are being hijacked by violent radical elements. Groups of outside radicals and agitators are exploiting the situation to pursue their own separate and violent agenda. In many places, it appears the violence is planned, organized, and driven by anarchic and left extremist groups, far left extremist groups, using Antifa-like tactics, many of whom travel from outside the state to promote the violence. We must have law and order on our streets and in our communities, and it is the responsibility of the local and state leadership in the first instance to halt this violence. All right, let me stop him there. Yeah, I'm glad he brought up, like, law and order. I've told you guys for a long time, you know, what separates the U.S. from so many places, although wildly imperfect, clearly, especially with the African-American police relationship, we have basically pretty good law and order here compared to a lot of other countries. I mean, fucking look at Mexico. And without it, what do you have? You have, like, fucking Baghdad. Okay, just complete chaos, gangs of police, gangs of uh, army guys. You know, it's, there's just no end to it. Uh, let's see. A few other audio clips here. Let's go to Van Jones, CNN commentator. This was funny. He said Hillary Clinton supporters are a bigger threat to black people than the KKK. This should be, this should be good. It's not the racist white person who's in the Ku Klux Klan that we have to worry about. It's the white liberal Hillary Clinton supporter walking her dog in Central Park. Damn right. Who would tell you right now? She, you know, she, people like that. Oh, I don't see race. Race is no deal to me. I see us all as the same. I give to charities. But the minute she sees a black man, yes, who she does not uh, uh, respect or who she has a slight thought against. She weaponized race like she had been trained by the Aryan Nation, a Klan's member. <laughs> okay, that's very good. And I have uh, I have more on th what he was talking about, the that Amy Cooper and the bird watcher. I have more on that in a moment. Uh, let's see, more audio clips. Here is a uh, CNN reporter, Omar Jimenez, getting arrested live on the air. This is, this is among the state patrol unit that was advancing up the street, saying and scattering the protesters at that point for people to clear the area. And so we walked away. I'm sorry? You're under arrest. Okay. Do you whoa, mind whoa, telling whoa, whoa, me whoa. why I'm under arrest, sir? Why, why am I under arrest, sir? Officer, we're with CNN, and he's under there right now. Okay. Okay, that was pretty funny. I mean, like, uh, really, like, of all the people to arrest, you arrest the media. Okay, maybe you should have started with all the guys who were burning down the police precinct. I don't know. That's just me. Uh, I mentioned the very woke mayor, Jacob Frey, who, uh, amusingly enough, uh, held a press conference early on 
and he decided that singing a spiritual from the city council person, who is a transgender woman, uh, maybe would be more effective than deploying pepper spray. Let's uh, listen to this. Andrea Jenkins, who has been a tremendous leader. Andrea Jenkins, that's the uh, councilwoman's name. Here comes Andrea Jenkins to the podium. Gathering herself. Amazing grace. <laughs> How sweet oh. is the sound. Can you put some of the Vice fires President. out now? Okay, you know, that was too funny, man. And all the white journalists were fucking just jizzing themselves over this. They were like, oh, this is so powerful. This is so powerful, you guys. Seriously. Uh, then finally, one of the media awoke from their rapturous adoration of the rendition of Amazing Grace and finally asked the uh, goofy mayor, hey, uh, so what are the cops doing to stop this? Let's uh, hear this. Tonight, they were saying things like, where are the police right now? Where are the firefighters right now? Where's the National Guard right now? Yeah, where are they? Those are all fair questions. Uh, where were the police, firefighters, and National Guard to protect that third precinct and to protect that neighborhood. As you already know, there were more than a few fires that uh, our firefighters had to put out. Uh, there were more than a few incidents of looting that our officers had to attend to. Uh, we are doing absolutely everything that we can to keep the peace. Uh, we have officers that are that are stationed uh, are around the city in several different locations. We have, uh, in, in many instances, assistance from the state uh, that to prevent looting at some of these community institutions that we know will be necessary to get through this pandemic. Um, you know, this is one of the most difficult situations that our city has been through. Uh, I, I'm not going to stand up in here and tell you that there are easy answers to it because there are not. All right, there he is. Okay, well, I guess there's no easy answers. You know, it's funny. I was watching this, and it occurred to me, you know what is a, a great thing to do would be have one of those, like, water cannon trucks. Like, once they start, like, not only can you disperse people really well, then you can turn the water cannon, like, on the fires. And then at the Secret Service, you know, I was surprised I didn't see any of the dogs out there. But then I was like, oh, yeah, nobody nobody has the balls to have that picture. You know, the fucking law enforcement guy holding the German Shepherd as it lunges at, like, a black protester, like, 1960s all over again. They're never going to do that. But you have to admit, having the dogs there, having dogs there would fucking keep people back from the White House perimeter. That's for damn sure. Uh, let's see. And then this is funny. The, uh, mayor actually put out a statement to practice social distancing and wear masks, which I thought was friggin' hilarious. Yeah. You guys remember like f 10 minutes ago when, uh, everybody in the media and on Twitter was shaming people at the beach for not wearing masks and no social distancing. I mean, I guess the fucking COVID disaster is over now officially because nobody is talking about that anymore. The second it became a woke protest and, and woke looting and arson and thievery. Uh, all of that went out the window. So keep an eye on it, though. We might see a COVID uptick there. Uh, let's see. Who else was funny? Oh, you know the uh, news anchor, Brooke Baldwin? She talked to that same city councilwoman uh, on the air, 
of Andrea Jenkins, right? And uh, I'm telling you, you guys think I was kidding. Brooke Baldwin thought this was the coolest thing ever, and she actually ended up doing an interview with Andrea Jenkins, and she just thought this was, you know, awesome. And basically what happened was Brooke Baldwin broke down and started talking about how, as a white woman, she's aware of her own privilege and how uh, angry she is. So let's uh, let's get in on this a little bit. And uh, here we go. Like me. That's Andrea Jenkins still singing. That as- voice you just heard was that of Minneapolis City Council Vice President Andrea Jenkins. She joins me now. Excuse me, Miss Jenkins. It's just that that your voice, that song, just. Just everything that's been happening. Um, <laughs> what did I tell you? The neighborhood where this incident took place. It's so powerful, you guys. You said that George Floyd's death felt like a symbol, uh, quote, for a knee on the neck of black America. Um, thank you so much for joining me today. Can you just talk about how this death has impacted the community you represent? All right. Apparently, there's going to be some kind of pop-up ad, so I'm just going to stop it there. Uh, let's see. What else? Uh, what other uh, audio clips do I have? Let me just go. I'm still having the problem, you guys, by the way, of it trying to open my Safari tab in Twitter, which I don't want it to do. And I don't know how to fix that. Uh, let's listen to the aforementioned Mayor Keisha Bottoms from Atlanta. Let's listen to how she I am says. a mother. I am a mother to four black children in America, one of whom is 18 years old. And when I saw the murder of George Floyd, I hurt like a mother would hurt. And on yesterday when I heard there were rumors about violent protests in Atlanta, I did what a mother would do. I called my son and I said, where are you? I said, I cannot protect you, and black boys shouldn't be out today. So you're not going to out-concern me and out-care about where we are in America. I wear this each and every day, and I pray over my children each and every day. So what I see happening on the streets of Atlanta is not Atlanta. This is not a protest. This is not in the spirit of Martin Luther King Jr. This is chaos. A protest has purpose. When Dr. King was assassinated, we didn't do this to our city. So if you love this city, this city that has had a legacy of black mayors and black police chiefs, and people who care about this city, where more than 50% of the business owners in Metro Atlanta are minority business owners. If you care about this city, then go home. Okay, well, you know what? She did, They didn't listen to her, bottom line. It was, a, it was actually a powerful speech, and it's too bad, but uh, they didn't listen to her. Uh, she mentioned black business owners. Let's hear this from a Minneapolis, and the reporter is talking to a African-American woman. I would love for you to share them with the community right now because you and so many others are going through such a rough time. How's, how was last night? Scary. 
I live in a high-rise right back here, and I seen them as they came down Lake Street. But then they turned and started coming over here, and I'm sitting out looking in my, out my window. And they went straight to Office Max, the dollar store, and every store over here that I go to. I have nowhere to go now. I have no way to get there because the buses aren't running. These people did this for no reason. It's not going to bring George back here. George is in a better place than we are. Last, last night, I'm going to be honest, I wish I was where George was because this is ridiculous. These people are tearing up our livelihood. Yeah. This is the only place I could go to shop. Okay. Yeah, it's very sad. But you know what? Nobody cares about her. All the activists online, nobody gives a shit about any of that, about what she uh, what she's going through. Uh, let me see. Has any other audio clips? Oh, this one. Here was uh, Bill Malugan. He's a reporter, and he was covering the Los Angeles protests and he was uh, he was filming this chick who was a African American female, and she just was like, uh, "Yeah, you know what? White people suck." So let's uh, hear this. You are all white males. You guys should care that my people have to suffer because people look like you, and they kill us. We are not the. I know he doesn't care. He, none of them care. He doesn't care. Yeah, that's nice, isn't it? Yeah, that, and that's what the real that's what the real message was out in those streets. Any other audio clips I have? Well, I have one from Ilhan Omar, but I'm actually really not even going to bother with her. Yeah, but she she said a bunch of gibberish and uh, really not uh, making any sense at all. Now let's talk a little bit about the social media aspect of it. Of course, Twitter. Continue to add new fact-checking labels to hundreds of tweets, even as the Trump administration issued that executive order to curtail the legal protections that shield social media companies from liability for the content posted on their platforms. Now, Twitter on Tuesday had appended fact-checking labels for the first time to two of Mr. Trump's tweets about mail-in ballots. You guys remember that? rebutting their accuracy. In response, Trump accused Twitter of stifling speech and declared that he would put a stop to the interference. So then, two days later on Thursday, he signed an executive order to make it easier for federal regulators to argue that companies like Facebook, Google, and Twitter were suppressing free speech when they suspended users or deleted posts. But Twitter has doubled down because then, uh, okay, so here are a few examples of them fact-checking people. Late Wednesday, it added fact-checking labels to messages from Zhao Lijian, a spokesman for China's foreign ministry who claimed that the coronavirus outbreak may have begun in the U.S. and had been brought to China by the U.S. military. And then, okay, I stand corrected because when I said earlier I didn't see them uh, fact-checking people other than Trump, apparently they did because they did add notices on a lot of tweets that falsely claimed a photo of a man in a red baseball cap was Derek Chauvin, the officer. And the Twitter label alerted viewers that the image was manipulated media. 
Uh, so now this is like a, a full-blown battle here. A Twitter spokesman said that the tweets modified on Wednesday contained potentially misleading contact and that the fact-checking was consistent with the company's approach this month. Now, that executive order, that protections that they have, they were, the technology companies had protections granted by Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. And that law does give those tech companies broad immunity from liability for content created by their users. So this is kind of just a dangerous uh, road to go down, for sure. Um, so... And again, it's just impossible. And what happens, like I said, what if it's something that's like, there? it's not exactly right and it's not exactly wrong? And the, the, the example I came up with that I tweeted out was, what if I say um, vaccines don't work, flu vaccines don't work? Now, if you look at the facts, in a very good year, a flu vaccine is about 60% effective. In other words, 60% of the people who take it will be safe from the flu. Uh, but many years, the vaccines are next to useless, often falling under 20% effectiveness. So if I say vaccines don't work, I mean, that, you know, is that, a, is that true, false, other? So I'm saying there's like a lot of uh, gray area and who is going to uh, check all of that. Now, in the past, Facebook introduced face fact-checking labels using third-party services to review potentially false information. That approach has been uneven, scattershot. Oh, and here we go. As the New York Times writes, what I just said earlier, critics have argued that the third-party fact-checkers have been unable to keep up with the billions of pieces of content on the social network. Exactly. There's literally millions of tweets sent, like, every hour. How can you possibly fact-check all that? Now, Mark Zuckerberg from Facebook did distance his social network, and he infamously said in an interview, quote, I just believe strongly that Facebook shouldn't be the arbiter of truth of everything that people say online, end quote. And I agree with him in theory. You should be an adult and use your critical thinking skills. But since we don't have that anymore, everybody wants the daddy technology companies to uh, make a decision, so, which is, again, is impossible. Uh, so, you know, it was, it was curious too, because like, I, I just don't understand. I don't understand the entire thing. You guys also might've seen that a lawsuit with that weirdo far right chick, Laura Loomer was tossed out of court. She was arguing that her free speech rights were being violated because she was banned from Twitter. Right. And so Twitter the, the court decision, I don't have it in front of me, I'm just going off memory, but the court decision threw the case out. She lost. And the court decision pretty much said sweepingly that Twitter is a private company and not subject to the First Amendment. And I'm like, but well, then that, that doesn't make sense, though, because then how if they're a private company and it's, a, and it's not a public space, which you just clearly fucking said, then how can you tell Trump, how can another judge tell Trump he can't block people on his personal account? Because that judge said, oh, no, 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 Trump's comments are in the public interest. Okay, so is it a public space or not? None of this makes any fucking sense. I don't know. Maybe the, maybe the lawyers don't know how Twitter works. As I've said, even if you're blocked by Trump, say, you could, like, Google Donald Trump Twitter and open it up in a browser and, and read the tweet. But they weren't arguing that in court. They were arguing for a right to participate. 
They said, no, 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 we have a right to comment on his tweets, right? Because it is a public space, and that's a public square with a public official. But then the courts, with the Loomer case, just threw that out, saying, no, 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 Twitter's a private company. So, Do you see what I'm saying? It's got to be one or the other. It can't be both of those. All right, let's leave it there for now. Um, I guess... Final thoughts, guys, this is a civilization, and if you want a law and order civilization, uh, this isn't going to fly. And all this is going to do, as much sympathy as I have, especially, like I said, I know I have a lot of African-American listeners, and I don't know what it's like to be you. You don't know what it's like to be me. I know that a lot of shit probably went down in the bad old days before all the cameras, I'm sure. I know for a fact. But all this is going to do, I'm telling you, the L.A. area still, in some ways, hasn't recovered from the 92 riots. Baltimore hasn't recovered from those Freddie Gray riots. Uh, Minnesota is facing billions of dollars in damage. The, I'm sure their tax revenue was already horrible from the COVID-19 thing. And now they're just going to, and, and they're not stopping it. This Tonight's going to be another night. So basically, you're burning down the entire city and destroying a major American city. And I fucking, have you seen the videos? It looks like fucking Fallujah, some of those videos. Who's going to pay for all that? There's nobody talking about the big picture. They're all just consumed in self-righteousness and virtue signaling and rage. Everybody. Nobody's looking at the long term. Hey, I have a question. What happened to all the woke vets virtue signaling about this on Twitter and basically uh, outright approval of all the destruction? What happens when this is over in a few days or a few weeks and the cameras go away and nobody gives a shit anymore? You're still going to have a smoldering ruin of a city and all those people who live there are going to have a way fewer jobs. The city's going to have no money for social services. All you're doing is shooting yourself in the foot. You want a functioning society, you have to have this. And, and you know what? As I said a couple weeks ago, and as I said on Jesse Kelly's show, there are a million interactions that the police have with civilians every single day. And you don't hear about all the ones that where nothing happens. You hear about the bad ones. And this was a fucking bad one. But then, you know, you turn around, you label like every cop as a fucking piece of shit. I mean, how are all those black officers feeling now? Or the Hispanic officers, the Latino officers? How are they feeling? Are they fucking out to get black people also? It's a complicated topic. You know what? This is a grown man's show, a grown woman's show. This is an adult show. We talk about tough topics. I'm the only guy on the internet willing to take them on and discuss them publicly. Uh, and I appreciate it. You guys probably saw the comments I left on the uh, Operators Fuck Nation page on Instagram. That had a really good, and I appreciate you guys, who said uh, you enjoyed the back and forth between me and my man who runs that page, OAF Nation. Uh, yeah, you know, because he he's uh, he is a, uh, a minority, and he had strong feelings about it, and I was pointing out what I said, and, and we had a good back and forth, but we have a grown man discussion. You know, we're still friends, and we can do that. Seems like the second race comes up, everybody just shits themselves, and uh, then they just turn on each other. It doesn't have to be that way. I mean, we should. We're grown adults, and this is how you should talk about these very uh, tough topics. And that's why I like the podcast, because, you know, social media is bullshit. It doesn't really have a lot of nuance to it. I got two and a half hours here. I can talk about it and stretch out ideas. So that's what I'm going to say for it. It was horrible. I hope the officer, hey, if it was up to me, Minnesota would have a death penalty. But uh, you fucking good liberals up there don't want that. So there you go. 
All right, guys, I'm going to leave it there and let us continue with our international news roundup. Uh, let's start with Hungary. And Hungary's far-right government under Prime Minister Viktor Orban uh, has shifted its focus to transgender people. In a law that legal observers believe is the first of its kind in Europe, Hungary will now tie an individual's gender to the person's sex and chromosomes at birth, restricting later modifications on official documents. And yes, that law was, that bill was signed into law this week. And this law, they say, is unparalleled in Europe. So basically what it means is you can't change your gender on your birth document after birth. It's against the law. So if you decide you're transgender when you're in your 20s, it will still, you know, if you decide you're a woman, it's still going to say boy, and it'll still have your name. Now, Viktor Orban, since returning to power in 2010, he's been like one of these, uh, pretty much a dictator. His government has overseen a sweeping overhaul of their country's democratic framework. He's taken over public media outlets and most of the country's private news media. And increasingly, he's fighting this culture war on matters related to gender and sexual orientation. Before the new law restricting transgender rights was passed, there was a process in Hungary by which individuals could achieve legal gender recognition following forensic medical evaluations. But moving, funder, moving forward under the new law, that will no longer be the case. Uh, so I know I have several transgender listeners. Uh, you guys know me. I kind of disagree on it, but, you know, I'm all about live and let live, and if that's what you think will make it happy, I say go for it, but I just don't think you should change your body physically. You guys know that I've had a long-time opinion on that. Uh, anything else in this? Yeah, so that is what's going on in Hungary. Let's uh, talk about this one. Let's talk about Hong Kong and the State Department. This was going around the Internet, and a lot of miscommunication on this as well. And this was when Secretary of State Mike Pompeo announced on Wednesday that the State Department no longer considered Hong Kong to have significant autonomy under Chinese rule, a move that indicated the Trump administration was likely to end some or all of the U.S. government's special trade and economic relations with the territory in southern China. Now, this action came just hours before China was expected to pass a national security law that would allow Chinese security agencies to take broad actions limiting the liberties of Hong Kong residents, many of whom who have protested the proposed law and clashed with police officers. Now, the U.S. and China appear to be on a collision course over the future of Hong Kong. Hong Kong, if you didn't know, is a center of global capitalism, and it is a symbol of resistance to the Chinese government, and especially the Communist Party. Relations between us and the Chinese are the worst they've been in a long time, Disputes have flared over trade, national security, and, as I read earlier, origins of the coronavirus. And Trump's foreign policy aides are discussing actions that would be among the harshest punishments taken against China over the past three years. Uh, so Pompeo said that new security law from China would be a death knell for Hong Kong, which has had liberties under a semi-autonomous system of governance that don't exist in mainland China, including freedom of speech, freedom of the press, and freedom of assembly. 
In recent days, protesters in Hong Kong have taken to the streets again to voice outrage at that proposed law, only to be beaten back by police officers clad in riot gear and tear gas. Oh, man. So, yeah, the Hong Kong, there's just no, there's no end to that one either. Now, speaking of China, this was crazy, too. The Trump administration plans to cancel the visas of thousands of Chinese graduate students and researchers in the U.S. who have direct ties to universities affiliated with the People's Liberation Army. The plan would be the first designed to bar the access of a category of Chinese students who overall form the largest single foreign student population in the United States. Uh, so, yeah, this is another way for us to punish China for the passage of that new national security law intended to enable crackdowns in Hong Kong. But the plans to cancel the student visas were actually under consideration before the crisis over the law even began. So, obviously, American universities are going to push back on this. While international education exchange is prized for its intellectual value, many schools, act, this is the real reason, Many schools also rely on full out-of-state tuition payments from foreign students to help cover costs, especially that large group of students from China. Now, administrators and teachers around the country have been briefed in recent years by the FBI and Justice Department on potential national security threats posed by Chinese students, especially ones working in the sciences. Uh, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know I've, I've covered a few of those. Uh, but many of these university employees are arguing that, hey, these students have effect, the student, the, our university has effective security protocols in place and that these students um, being exposed to the liberalizing effects of Western institutions outweighs the risks they pose as Chinese spies. The visa cancellation could affect at least 3,000 students, which is a tiny percent. God, that is crazy. You know, you, know how many, you know how many Chinese students there are in the United States right now? Three, or at least pre-COVID anyway. 360,000 in the United States. How many students do we have in China? I would love to know that. Not fucking 360,000. Uh, I'd put all the Patreon money on that uh, bet right there. Maybe it has some of this New York Times article. Maybe they say it. Do they? No, they don't. Uh, so, yes, that's a, that's a big deal as well. What else? Uh, let's talk about North Korea. And North Korean and Chinese citizens are operating a multi-billion dollar money laundering scheme to help fund the North Korean nuclear weapons program according to the Justice Department, in an indictment unsealed this week on Thursday. The case underscores the Trump administration's inability to halt Pyongyang's nuclear weapons program through diplomacy. Now, the DOJ charged 28 North Koreans and five Chinese citizens of using a web of more than 250 shell companies to launder over $2.5 billion in assets through the international banking system, according to these court documents filed by the U.S. attorney. So we're claiming that this money flowed back to North Korea's primary state-operated foreign exchange bank, the Foreign Trade Bank of the Democratic People's Republic of Korea. It's a mouthful. 
And that's when the North Koreans would then use those funds and tap into them to support its weapons of mass destruction program. Uh, this, these charges are also kind of an unspoken acknowledgement that the U.S. has been unsuccessful in stopping North Korea from building nuclear weapons by imposing economic sanctions or through Trump's attempts to broker an agreement with North Korean leader Kim Jong-un. Uh, yeah, the administration also accused North Korea of employing cyber attacks to steal and launder money and to using uh, digital currencies to generate revenue for its weapons of mass destruction and ballistic missile program. Now, North Korea has conducted no significant missile tests this year. Uh, remember, Kim Jong-un had recently gone three weeks without making any public appearances. Remember that was floating around a few weeks ago? Everybody thought he had been dead, but now he, he is very much alive, unfortunately. So keep an eye on North Korea and the money laundering. How about this one? You remember the, uh, the 39 Vietnamese immigrants whose bodies were found in a refrigerator truck in Britain last October? I covered it on a podcast. You guys remember that one? Well, prosecutors' office in Paris and Brussels said they have arrested uh, 26 people in connection with that and that the 26 suspects were believed to be part of a broader human trafficking network that had transported not only those found dead in the truck but several dozen people a day for months at a time. Most of the trafficked immigrant, uh, migrants had come from Vietnam, including the eight women and 31 men who crossed the English Channel in that container and then were discovered on October 23rd in an industrial area of Essex, which is about 25 miles east of London, and not far from the ferry terminal where that truck had arrived from Belgium. So that's when the, uh, the whole investigation into this human uh, trafficking began, and it prompted four European countries, uh, including Belgium, France, uh, Great Britain and Vietnam. I don't. I'm sorry. I know Vietnam's not in Europe, but I'm just. Try, I'm trying to skim down this. I don't know if you guys realize the insane brain power it takes to not only think, read, but also skim through the article and all do it live and sound completely intelligent at the same time. I don't know if you. Guys, I don't know if you guys actually know how difficult that is, and that's why I tell you. And this is all without any editing. And that's why I tell you guys I'm the only person in the United States, for sure, who's capable of doing this and nobody else can do it solo. This is a one-man operation, you guys. There's nobody else to help me. The only help I get is from you guys sending me the good stories, and I encourage you to do so, and you can do that through the direct messages on uh, Instagram and Twitter. Most of the people who were dead were found uh, who were found dead in October came from two impoverished provinces in north central Vietnam. And that trip that ended with that tragedy in October took at least one of them from Vietnam to Russia, then Ukraine, and then France, the country where smugglers received, hosted, and drove most of the victims. Now British authorities say Vietnam is one of the main sources of human trafficking victims into Britain where they work in nail salons or factories and face of course exploitation and abuse from organized human trafficking gangs. And that 
uh, tractor trailer with all the dead people in it had come from a Belgian port, which has been used by these human trafficking networks as a smuggling point into Britain for many decades. Remember, the, the actual truck driver was a 25-year-old guy named Maurice Robinson. He has pleaded guilty th to 39 counts of manslaughter, conspiracy to traffic people. Oh, man, he's eating the whole thing. They have another truck driver who's a 23-year-old guy from Northern Ireland, and he is accused of delivering the container to the Belgian port. So he also faces charges in it. And then the actual uh, owner of a hauling company is the guy who believed to pay for the guy to drive the truck was arrested in Ireland this month, also facing 39 charges, 39 counts of manslaughter. Okay. How about another flashback? Who remembers this one? You remember the uh, the Kyoto Anime Studio fire? You guys remember that? That was uh, last July, going way back. I know I covered it on the podcast for sure. Well, the police in Japan this week arrested a man, finally, suspected of setting fire to that anime studio in Kyoto that killed 36 people last summer. That was considered the worst mass killing in Japan in decades. Now, the suspect is a guy named Shinji Aoba, 42 years old, and he was arrested after he had recovered from the injuries he suffered in the fire to face charges and after Japan lifted its coronavirus lockdown. Now, that July 18th attack was on Kyoto Animation. And that is a famous uh, studio in anime circles. And, you know, now, just a side note, I, I see a lot of grown men on social media with the anime. And I'm just saying it's fucking suspect. It's just one man's opinion. Don't be all butthurt about it. If I meet a guy who's really into, like, anime movies, especially, like, watching, like, a little too much with the young girls portrayed in anime... Uh, I'm just looking at you fucking side-eyed a little bit. Like, you're you're kind of weird. Like, if you're a grown man, I'm saying. It's just fucking weird to me. Hey, you know, different strokes. I'm just saying one man's opinion, but bro. Fucking grow up. How about that? Read a book. Uh, the attacker was said to have shouted, Die! as he entered the building and then tried to escape, but collapsed on the street outside and was subdued by uh, workers there. He had a record. He had spent more than three years in prison for robbing a convenience store. And he had a grudge against the Kyoto studio because he thought it stole novels of some kind. Like, they stole people's ideas. So after he broke in, he poured accelerant on the floor and set fire to it. And the blaze just blew up. And many of the victims died from carbon monoxide poisoning. At least 30 other people uh, were wounded. And then that, that attack came just weeks after an attacker went on a rampage in a Tokyo suburb in which 17 schoolgirls school were stabbed, killing one of them and an adult. Pretty sure I covered that one also. So they got their man in that one. Okay, let's talk about a little... Uh, terrorism. Let's go to Afghanistan. And senior military officials are set to brief President Trump in the coming days for on options for pulling all American troops out of Afghanistan. Uh-oh, lifeguard siren going by. 
I don't know if you guys, I don't know how much you guys can hear, but I'm close to the beach, so you hear sirens and stuff sometimes in the background. Anyway, one possible timeline for withdrawing forces is before the U.S. presidential election. So the proposal for a complete withdrawal by November reflects an understanding among military commanders that such a timeline may be Trump's preferred option, because obviously he thinks it may help him bolster his campaign. Uh, So... Senior military officials believe a quick withdrawal from Afghanistan would effectively doom the peace deal reached this year. The Taliban, okay, yeah, you know what? I don't fucking care anymore. If you still care about what happens if we leave Afghanistan, you're a fucking moron. Uh, that end of story. You fucking are. After 20 years of futility, if you are still fucking hand-wringing, but, oh, but then the women won't be able to go to school. Well, you know what? I'm sorry about that. It's up to them to figure that out now. We've been training their fucking people now for for two decades. You fucking deal with it. It's your country. Fight for it. Sick of talking about Afghanistan. Uh, so we will see what if it if it actually goes through. The Pentagon is obviously going to lay out multiple options. Um, the Pentagon has other options that would withdraw forces more slowly with one plan sticking close to the current timeline that would keep American forces in the country until May 2021. But why? Like, what's, what is possibly going to be a deal maker or deal breaker between now and May of 2021? What's the big breakthrough going to be? Come on, stupid. It's like the COVID shit, you know, like opening businesses. Oh, we have to wait. Uh, we have to wait a week. You know, like, why? What What is the big deal that's going to happen now? It's been fucking two months out here. We're still under lockdown here. Kind of. I've, they've slowly been opening stuff up. But uh, technically, a lot of uh, California is still in lockdown. Now, there are currently fewer than 12,000 troops in Afghanistan. We are in the process of drawing down to 8,600 troops as part of the February agreement. And that small American t- contingent, of course, will rely heavily on special operations forces and joint U.S.-Afghan cells, known as regional targeting teams that are focused on counter-terror mission, counterterrorism missions across the country. Okay. You know, the corona, speaking of the coronavirus, it, it really sped through Afghanistan after it crossed over Afghanistan's western border from Iran, and the Pentagon believes that at least 50% of Afghan security forces most likely have the virus. <laughs> meaning that any training and joint ops between the U.S. and Afghan forces have been paused. Uh, yeah, I know my man, a uh, contracting buddy of mine, shout out to him, is, uh, he's been over there for like five months now because of the lockdown, something like that, because there's, you know, there's been uh, no movement at all. Okay, so very good. Now what about uh, more conflict news? Uh, let's talk about what's going on in northeastern Syria and ISIS prisoners. Now, a year after American-backed forces seized the last remnant of territory after Islamic State rule in Syria, some 10,000 captured ISIS fighters in Kurdish-run wartime prisons pose a significant risk to the U.S. mission in the country's northeast. Now, hardened ISIS fighters have been protesting the dire conditions in their makeshift confines, including the potential spread of COVID-19, 
and they have rioted in the largest prison in Hasaka twice in the last two months. They were able to quell those uprisings, but they underscore the high impact risk of a mass breakout. And that was according to a Pentagon Inspector General uh, investigation. Anything else in here? These concerns have uh, limited operations of the 500 remaining U.S. troops in northeastern Syria. Now, only a handful of COVID-19 deaths have been reported in the country's northeast and none so far in the prisons. But these humanitarian workers fear that a rapid outbreak is a real possibility given the region's war-battered health infrastructure and the severe overcrowding in its prisons. Eh, maybe. I mean, they're all pretty much young men, right? As I've gone over exhaustively, the threat to young men of getting seriously ill from the COVID is, is very, very slim. Uh, those detention sites. Okay, so the Syrian Democratic Forces, whose fighters are the Pentagon's partner on the ground in the campaign against the Islamic State, do operate a kind of network of about two dozen ad hoc detention sites for captive ISIS fighters, including converted schoolhouses and a former Syrian government prison at Hasaka, which was the site of those riots. Again, about 10,000 men, of whom about 8,000 are locals, uh, meaning Syrians or Iraqis. But interestingly enough, about 2,000 of them are from 50 other countries, and their home governments have said, no, we don't want them back, and we're not taking them. A lot of them are Europeans from countries like Belgium, Britain, France, and Germany, uh, but most come from across the Middle East, including Egypt, Tunisia, and Yemen. Yeah, see, th those countries are smart. Tunisia and Yemen are smarter than us. They don't want those terrorists back. They're like, nah, not our problem. Uh, many European law enforcement officials fear that if they repatriate their extremist citizens, they would be unable to convict them or keep them locked up for a long time. Yeah, I bet. That ain't going to happen. Uh, and then we had we had a very good article in the New York Times. I'm not going to read through it uh, too much, but it's titled, if you guys want to Google it, it's called How the Taliban Outlasted a Superpower, Tenacity and Carnage. I mean, you know, this is the oldest thing in the book, dude. If you're willing to die for a cause, you're not, you're not going to, you're not going to defeat people like that unless you go full scorched earth, like fucking nuke the ground and just bury it with glass. And we're not going to do that. So what's the point? The Taliban have been fighting now, fighting us now for almost 19 years, right? Remember, after 2001, the Taliban reorganized. Instead of like one big organization, they became a decentralized network of fighters and low-level commanders. And those commanders were empowered to recruit and find resources locally, while the senior leadership remained sheltered in neighboring Pakistan. So the insurgency came to embrace a system of terrorism planning and attacks that kept the government, uh, the Afghan government, under withering pressure and to expand an illicit funding engine built on crime and drugs despite its roots in austere Islamic ideology. And they've changed little of that ideology as they prepare to start talks with the Afghan government about power sharing. They've never explicitly renounced their past of harboring international terrorists. And 
They've never renounced the oppressive practices towards women and minorities. And the insurgents remain deeply opposed to the vast majority of the Western-supported changes in the country over the past two decades. Yeah, they just they, they want to do they want to run their country the way they want to do it. So fucking let them figure it out. And what else? Let's turn over to Libya. Uh, another good article, and they're talking about all the mercenaries that kind of uh, flew into Libya, and uh, then everything went uh, crazy. So, in Libya. Remember, that war is driven by powerful foreign sponsors, principally the United Arab Emirates, Turkey, Russia, and Egypt. And this has created this lucrative area for smugglers, arms dealers, mercenaries, and other profiteers who flout an international arms embargo with little fear of consequences. And Libya is an interesting magnet for its combination of oil, wealth, and standards of combat. You know, so you have Russian, Syrian, Sudanese, Chadian from Chad, and now Western mercenaries drawn into the fight, and it has that rare distinction of being kind of a mercenary-on-mercenary war. Sometimes there's men from the same country fighting for each other. One Libya expert does say, yeah, it's a free-for-all. Everyone is bringing in all kinds of weapons and fighters in Libya, and uh, nobody is stopping them. Remember, Libya's basically been in chaos since the ouster of longtime dictator Colonel Muammar al-Gaddafi. And remember, that was by that American-backed coalition in 2011. So then after that, peace talks established a fragile UN-backed government in Tripoli. And that's when the, uh, the Libyan commander Khalifa Hipter, the rebel guy, began his assault and his rebellion and basically didn't fighting ever since, just kind of like the little backstory. He first launched an offensive in 2014, and since that, he's been backed by an array of foreign forces, including a Kremlin-backed mercenary group called the Wagner Group. And then Turkey, as I talked to you guys a few weeks ago, joined the fight on behalf of Tripoli. And so then uh, the Turkish back campaign has been fighting the Kremlin back campaign, and it's just a fucking shit show over there now. Uh, so interesting and uh, pretty fascinating stuff going on there, just like a web of uh, various soldiers of fortune and all kinds of shit going on there. So, Okay. What else? Okay, a lot of you guys sent me this one. Let's turn to do something a little bit more amusing. Yeah, a ton, a ton of you guys sent me this one. This is the story about the mistaken house and the guys who thought they were they were going to do a sexual fantasy. <laughs> this is great. So a guy in rural New South Wales uh, awoke to use the bathroom shortly after 6 a.m. on a Sunday last year. He noticed a light on, and he thought it was like a friend who would come over to use his kitchen to make coffee. And he said, hey, get out of here. It's too early for this. In the darkness, he heard a stranger's voice reply, is your name Kevin? So the guy didn't know the voice. He ripped off uh, his, he was wearing a sleep apnea mask. He took it off and he turned on his bedside lamp. And then next to his bed, he sees two men holding machetes. One of the men said, what's your name? He told the men his name. And one of the strangers responded, 
You sure you're not Kevin? As we were told to come to pick up Kevin. The man said nobody named Kevin had ever lived at the address or had ever lived there. Satisfied, the men started leaving. Sorry, mate, said one of them, shaking the shocked man's hand. Bye, said the other. <laughs> this was at a home in the town of Gulgawi, almost seven, west, uh, seven hours west of Sydney. So why is it in the news? Well, an Australian judge ruled that this was not a crime because those men, was those, those strange men standing at his bedside with machetes was a result of a bumbling attempt of carrying out another man's sexual fantasy, which went horribly wrong. In exchange for $5,000, the men had agreed to tie up a man they had never met and then rub his underwear with a broom, except there was one problem. They had the wrong address. No, dude, five grand for that? Dude, I'll, I'll do it for, I'll do that for a grand. A hundred, a hundred bucks. I'll do that for you if you want. As long as there's like, you know, no penetration or of any kind, a touching of any kind, I'm, I'm totally down. But yeah, they found, the judge found one of the machete-wielding men uh, just not guilty. He said, uh, look, this was a sex game gone wrong. The man seeking the sexual role play, the Kevin, had moved houses and... His hired helpers confused the number of his new address with his old street. And so the attorney said, look, my client entered this man's home without criminal intent. It was a commercial agreement to tie up and stroke a semi-nude man in his underpants with a broom. Entry was not with intent to intimidate. Now prosecutors argued, hey, wait a minute, nobody said anything about machetes <laughs> in this agreement. This was not part of Kevin's sexual requests. But the judge ruled that the pair of guys were essentially improvising as part of the role play. That's fucking hilarious. The judge wrote, quote, They carried the machetes as either a prop or something to use in that fantasy. The fantasy was unscripted and there was discretion as to how it would be carried out. And the people were respectful, so <clears throat> the judge uh, said, yep, no charges. That is great. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's it. I'm, I'm telling you, a hundred bucks, and I'll, and I'll glad, and I'll rub you with a broom. Okay, as long as I don't have to see you, you know, manipulating yourself in any way, shape, or form. There's no nudity. I'm far away from you with the broom or social distancing. I'm fucking into that. Okay, how about uh, this one, guy? You know what? This is I, I picked this story, guys, because I was walking on the street the other day, pondering things as I often do. That's my pondering time. I go for walks and I just think. You know, that's when I do all my thinking, you know, because a lot of the time we're always staring at screens, right? Or being stimulated in some fashion. So sometimes and that's so sometimes you just gotta go for a walk. And walking is great to you know clear your head, think about shit. As I told you last week, you know, I don't really talk about my personal life, but this week has been fucking brutal and somebody I care about a lot and is very dear to me. Uh I don't know, I, I guess it's just not not working out. I mean, I'll just leave it there. But basically, you know what? My point being is that I'm just a person like everybody else. And honestly, the last fucking thing I want to do a lot of times is do the podcast. And it's the last couple of weeks have been rough. But you know what? I, I really appreciate you guys. And 
I feel like at this point I have an obligation because so many of you expect it from me. So I'm going to show up here every week and try to do the best I can. Sometimes, you know, that's why I'm not like all funny sometimes some weeks because, you know, I'm just like, like I said, I'm just human like everybody else. I have my down days and up days. Anyway, enough of me cry facing. My point being is that I was walking along pondering and I know I was like, where have all the scooters and bikes gone? You know, those bike shares that were that were like all the rage like a year ago and in and where I live here at the beach in Cal in San Diego you couldn't walk outside without running into like seven scooters like they were everywhere constantly thrown in bushes and then they the city tried to carve out little spots for them on the street they were packed there they were everywhere and I'm walking along I'm like man I haven't even seen I hardly ever see scooters anymore what the hell happened well I found this story and Uber is scrapping thousands of electric bikes and scooters worth millions of dollars after selling their subsidiary, Jump, J-U-M-P, to mobility startup Lime earlier this month. And Uber said it decided to recycle the older models that Lime didn't want after concluding that it would be too complicated to give them away due to the maintenance and technical support that they need. Uh, So... There was some footage of the red jump e-bikes being destroyed at a North Carolina recycling center that was uh, shared on social media. And of course, then all the, as CNBC puts, it angered bike enthusiasts around the world. You know, they're so emotional. People are so emotional. Dude, I saw, I'm telling you, there was, a, for every fucking person in San Diego, there was like 50 scooters in e-bikes. It was just way too many. And, and you know what? And the funnier thing was China had already gone through this, and we had pictures on social media of like tens of thousands of scrapped scooters and e-bikes already. And that was before it took off in America. So you knew this was going to happen because everybody piled into that space, all the companies, Lime, Uber, Jump, fucking Bird, all the rest of them, and it was just uh, oversaturated. Uh, so Uber acquired a jump for about $200 million in April of 2018. And in December, it promised to double down on its investment in electric bikes and scooters in 2020. And then earlier this month, Uber led a $170 million investment into Lime. So under that deal, Uber is transferring the jump division to Lime. So they want to they said they can't recycle a lot of them so they're just uh shit canning a lot of them so pretty pretty cool okay what else oh this one's okay well i always enjoy this let's get something a little bit lighter going on here how about this headline from the daily mail school teacher and youth pastor 56 who claimed he had been kidnapped when he was robbed in a motel room, is now being charged with solicitation after it emerged that he had arranged to meet a man on Craigslist for sex. (laughs) People still meet people from Craigslist? Isn't that like the bottom of the barrel, dude? Like, I mean, Grindr, isn't there Grindr, you know, all kinds of shit? Tinder, whatever? I mean, dude, Craigslist, man. And yes, he was a Christian school teacher in Georgia being charged for solicitation of sodomy. Very nice. So they arrested 56-year-old Christopher Keys, and uh, 
they basically the details that the the sheriff's office said they received an inquiry about a rumored carjacking and kidnapping that took place on Wednesday. So they determined no such incident took place, but they had been working on an incident with the same victim. So deputies met with Keyes at the Regency Inn and Suites for calls about an armed robbery. Keyes claimed he had been in the motel when he heard a knock at his door. Once he opened the door, two masked men robbed him of his wallet, house, truck, blah, blah, blah. One of the men was armed. Uh, so he expl- he then explained to deputies that he was supposed to meet a man in his hotel room, having responded to an ad on Craigslist. He had been frequently visiting the hotel in the past. Oh, God. <laughs> Keyes allegedly told deputies he did not want the details of the robbery to get out. He also told them not to speak to his family. He told deputies that he was going to tell his father that he had been kidnapped from another location and brought to the motel. So he was embarrassed about it. Yep, he has now been removed from the uh, school's website. So, very good. Just, bro, just blow, you know, that's fine. You don't have to hide it, bro. You know, blow dudes if that's your thing. I mean, I don't want to fucking hear the gory details or anything, but, you know, you know, we can hang out. I don't know. The gays. The closet gays, man. Just live your life, man. How about this? This was great. Uh, this, do you remember the fucking Mueller report? The two and a half year shit show? I, I dubbed Robert Mueller dozing Bob. That's a BK original on social media just because he always seems so like sleepy and out of it. Clearly, he was never... He was just the figurehead. He was the respected DC guy. The real power behind the investigation was all these hacks that he hired which were former like political operatives. And one included a former U.S. attorney named Andrew Weissman. Well, after the Mueller report, this is funny, Weissman became a legal analyst for NBC and MSNBC, right? Uh, however, Weissman is also uh, the main man at a upcoming Joe Biden fundraiser. And he had been informed by the network, like, yo, we, we can't have that. You know, we're like supposed to be impartial here. And so you can't do that and work here. And this fucking dude literally said on a Friday night phone interview, quote, if the fundraiser goes forward, I'm withdrawing from MSNBC, end quote. And why do I bring this story up? Just to show you. How partisan do you think this guy is if he's going to lose what is probably a very easy, lucrative gig at the news channel to host a fucking fundraiser for Sleepy Joe? And he was, and every other attorney on that Mueller team was exactly like this. So I'm so sick of hearing about that Robert Mueller bullcrap and all the the sham investigation where they knew there was no Russian collusion after like three weeks and yet they dragged it out like another year or two, you know, because they were trying to get anything to stick and, you know, whip up the resistance. Yeah. So Andrew Weissman, total fucking political hack. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. Why can't they just find somebody who doesn't really care that much about politics? Why, why is it that hard to find somebody who is like just a straight shooter, no matter who the perpetrator is? I suppose not. Okay, uh, guys, uh, you know, I started a little late today, clearly, because the 
SpaceX launch was uh, going on, and I, I really wanted to watch that. And I tell you, there was just something about watching the the liftoff and everything. God, it just it gives me chills. I'm a big space guy. Uh, and it was, by all appearances, uh, successful, uh, which is great. And after new tier, nearly two decades of effort, SpaceX did successfully launch its first two people into orbit. The flight marked the first time astronauts have been launched into orbit from American soil in nearly a decade. And SpaceX is now the first company to send passengers to orbit on a privately made vehicle. Remember, the two astronauts are veteran NASA astronauts Bob Behnken and Doug Hurley. And they rode into space inside SpaceX's new automated spacecraft called the Crew Dragon, which is a capsule designed to take people to and from the International Space Station. So the duo lifted off on top of SpaceX's Falcon 9 rocket from NASA's Kennedy Space Center in Florida, 3.22 p.m. Eastern Standard Time today, and the rocket dropped the Crew Dragon off in orbit about 12 minutes later. So now the pair will spend roughly the next 24 hours in orbit before attempting to dock with the International Space Station sometime on Sunday morning. So... That is so cool. I'm all about it. It's frankly a fucking disgrace that we haven't had astronauts lifting off this time. I'm a big space guy. You guys know that. I volunteer for the next one. I don't even need a return ticket. Just fucking put me in the spaceship. I'm ready to go. And uh, that'll do it for me. Okay, let's keep going. This was an interesting story. This Here, let's go to over to Israel where an Israeli court ruled this week that a former principal of a Jewish girls' school in Australia who is accused of sexually assaulting her students has been faking mental illness for years and is fit to face extradition proceedings. Australia has apparently been trying to extradite the former principal, someone named Malka Leifer, female, for about six years on 74 charges of sexual assault, but her lawyers have argued that he she was mentally ill and um, unable to stand trial. And in her 40-page ruling, the uh, judge from the Jerusalem District Court said that Lifer had been impersonating with someone with mental illness. And they uh, some of the accusers wrote that this abusive woman has been exploiting the Israeli courts for six years. And the... Now, her lawyer is saying, no, 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 she is actually mentally ill, and he's going to appeal uh, this extradition order. So Lifer, who's in her early 50s, she fled Australia in 2008 after accusations of sexual assault emerged from her time as principal of the ultra-Orthodox Jewish Adas Israel School in Melbourne, Australia. So after Australia requested her extradition in 2014, she was held under house arrest, but the extradition process was halted in 2016 when a mental health evaluation found her unfit to stand trial. However, in 2018, the Israeli police then found evidence that Leifer had faked her mental incompetence. Hmm. I wonder what that evidence was. Maybe like Google searches, like how to act crazy or something like that. Uh, does it say? No, it does not say. 
Does not say what the evidence is, but uh, cool. I, I love a good impersonation story. You guys know that. <clears throat> All right, let's keep going here. I spoke of uh, some dating apps earlier. Well, a Utah man was arrested Sunday on suspicion of murder after police say he told authorities he killed a 25-year-old woman he had met on the popular dating app Tinder. Hmm. Ethan Hunsacker, 24, called 911 to report that he'd killed somebody. Oh, that's, that was good of him. When officers responded to the home, they found a woman lying on the floor with multiple stab wounds to her torso. They tried to resuscitate her, but she died of her injuries. Well, he had met the woman that same that same night on Tinder. Sorry, I was trying to, trying to burp not into the microphone there. Yeah, uh, so he met the chick on Tinder the same night, and then he uh, he killed her. So they arrested him, and they're charging him right now. I'm sorry, he's not being charged yet, but they arrested him on suspicion of first-degree murder. Got to watch those dating apps, ladies. Be careful you're going out with. All right, let's go to some more uh, Silicon Valley controversy. And... YouTube was under fire earlier this week because it turns out they were automatically deleting comments that contain certain Chinese language phrases related to criticism of the country's ruling Communist Party. According to YouTube, in other words, they were deleting comments critical of the ChaiComs. The company, YouTube, did confirm that this was happening in error, big air quotes there, and it's working to fix the issue. And the Verge website uh, states the company did not elaborate on how or why this error came to be, but said it was not the result of any change in its moderation policy. But as the Verge found out, if the deletions are the result of a simple mistake, then it's one that has gone unnoticed for six months. The Verge found evidence that comments were being deleted as early as October 2019 when the issue was raised on YouTube's official help pages. Oh, I love American to Chinese translations. Comments left under videos that contained the words communist bandit or 50 cent party, and they have the accompanying Chinese symbols, are automatically deleted in around 15 seconds. However, their English language translations and uh, kind of you know, phonetic spellings were not. So that term, communist bandit, is an insult that dates back to China's nationalist government, while the other one, 50 Cent Party, uh, anglicized, it is Wu Mao, is a derogatory slam for internet users paid to direct online discussion away from criticism of the Chinese Communist Party. And the name of 50 Cent Party comes from claims that such commenters are paid 15 Chinese cents per post. All right, very good. So uh, they said they uh, fixed the problem. But that's not the only tech company accused of censorship. Google has deleted millions of negative TikTok reviews from its Google Play Store after the app's rating fell from 4.5 stars to 1.2 stars overnight. Apparently, 
the video sharing platform was inundated with one-star reviews after an Indian creator posted a spoof video of an acid attack. That Indian creator was named Faisal Siddiqui. And he did apologize, and TikTok deleted copies of his clip. But Google intervened after it was determined that critics had set up fake accounts to amplify their protests. Okay, I see what's happening. <clears throat> so the tech guys, you know, create a bunch of sock accounts, and from that way they can just easily uh, make millions of negative reviews. Even so, even after doing all that, TikTok's rating remains below two stars on the official Android marketplace because the, I guess there were just too many of them, and a lot of them were legit. So the video in question appeared to show Siddiqui threatening a woman who had decided to leave him. In the clip, he threw liquid at the woman's face. It was water in real life, but in the scene, the, the TikTok clip, it showed the woman's face covered in makeup that resembled the scars and bruising that acid might cause. Did you get it? Hilarious, right? A spokesman for TikTok said, As per the policy, we do not allow content that risks the safeties of others or promotes physical harm or glorifies violence against women. So, after TikTok became embroiled, Google then removed more than 5 million of its recent one-star reviews. <laughs> Five million reviews they got? Holy shit. Dad, this is why you guys got to go leave me a review. Go to iTunes, leave me a review. I ask you guys to do that all the time. It's how they rank the podcast kind of. And, and a lot of you have, and I really appreciate it. And I read those from time to time. All right. Uh, how about a couple military stories? Here's one. The U.S. Air Force, my beloved U.S. Air Force, has removed its minimum height requirements for prospective pilots doing away with a barrier that they say disadvantaged women. Previously, if you wanted to be an Air Force pilot, you were required to have a standing height of five foot four inches to six feet five. I'm sorry, five feet four inches to six feet five inches. Okay, five four to six five. You had to be somewhere in the middle there, and you had to have a sitting height of thirty four to forty inches. Applicants shorter than five four or taller than six five had to get some kind of waiver. And most height waivers were approved, but the restrictions eliminated about 44% of the U.S. female population ages 20 to 29. So uh, according to the Air Force, they say studies show that a woman's perceptions about being fully qualified for a job makes them less likely to apply even if there is a waiver option. Uh, so now they think they're going to have a wave of women trying to become fighter pilots. We'll see. The average height for U.S. females age 20 and older is 63.8 inches across all ethnic groups. Meanwhile, the average height for U.S. males 20 and older is 69.3 inches, less than 5 inches uh, taller. So they're going to uh, do away with that old policy, and instead of the height standards, they're going to now apply an anthropometric screening process to applicants to place them in an aircraft that they can safely fly. And that will factor in a number of human body measurements, including weight, limb lengths, breadths, and body mass index. All right, so very good. I have less of a problem with women flying planes, that's for sure, than I do in the Special Operations Forces, again, for a long variety of reasons. 
Okay, let's go to. Well, I got a few. Uh, I got a few political clips. This a lot of you guys sent me this one. Let's let's start with Sleepy Joe. He went on the View. Is this the View? Yeah, it's the View. And he, uh, I have not listened to this clip yet, but a lot of people said this was really just like a rambling kind of nonsensical answer from Joe Biden. So let's listen to. Uh, sleepy Joe Biden. Touching them without their permission. Are you sorry for what you did? Are you prepared to apologize to those women? Look, here's the deal. I here's am, the deal. So, like, for example, uh, I actually thought in my head when I walked out here. I mean, <coughs> do I? I know. It's, we're friends. It's uh, tricky. No, but, but I should be able to read better. But I have never in my life done anything in approaching a woman that has been other than trying to bring salt i'm used to like one of your staff was i'm used to i think it's really important we listen whether i sit down next to somebody and it's not invited to be to sit down so that's my responsibility i have to be more more aware and it's totally legitimate but okay but anyway i i think it's legitimate and i think it is uh and to to to, to anyone, I, but I don't think anyone's ever said. What? They've also said we'd like an apology. Well, look, I, I I'm I'm really sorry if they. Nancy Pelosi wants you to say, "I'm sorry that I invaded your space." Sorry, I invaded your space. I mean, I, I and I I'm sorry this happened. Yeah. Um, but uh, but I'm not sorry in the sense that, look, I, I was. Anyway. Well, here's your opportunity Speak. right now to just say you you apologize, you're sorry. Now they're practically like giving him right the now. words. Well, by the way, I, I did. I understand. Uh, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. It's it, we haven't. <laughs> there's so much more work to do to figure out how. The, the one important thing I know. Well, I I, 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 I tell you what the deal was. I, I did not. Um, that um, what, what I didn't want to do, and 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 I. I didn't want to, quote, invader space. I didn't mm-hmm. want to get in a situation where this became. And then I went when I heard all this about the, and it was legitimate, expecting a call why, every time the phone rang. Why we, and so I, I, I spoke to some uh, leading women advocates in this area. Who, someone knew. Holy shit, dude. He is really bad, you guys. This is borderline like fucking elder abuse at this point. Wow. That is uh that was pretty bad. And then did you hear he like he may or may not have sharded when he was doing like one of these Zoom interviews? This is only a five second clip, so I might actually let it play through twice. But the funny thing, you guys really gotta go go Google Biden Shart, S-H-A-R-T, you know, like shit fart, because it sounds like it. You, the it, the click is the clip is classic because the guy he's talking to the other guy on the screen you can hear you can see him like blink like what the fuck did I just hear and so I might let this play clo- uh, play twice since it's only five seconds long but let's see if you can hear it. Here or stop work on roads and bridges so what does a human cost programs uh, <laughs> or stop work on roads and bridges so what <laughs> does a time. human cost programs uh, or stop work on roads and bridges so. <laughs> What does the human cost? <laughs> uh, I don't know what it was, but it was still pretty funny. Okay, uh, let's see. What else do I have for the political roundup? Uh, let's go to 
here is, let's go to another Sleepy Joe clip. And uh, here is uh, Joe Biden talking about Trump not wearing a mask. Uh, let's go to this one. Do you think wearing a mask projects strength or weakness? Leadership. What it presents and projects is leadership. Presidents are supposed to lead, not engage in folly and be falsely masculine. It reminds me of the guys that I grew up with playing ball. They'd walk around with a ball in their hand, but they didn't like to hit very much. All right, very good. So Sleepy Joe would uh, gladly wear the mask, and he thinks you guys are all hicks for not doing it. All right, what do I have? Other clips for the political roundup? Oh, yeah, here's a, I got a super cut here. Remember the other week when uh, Joe Biden said, uh, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black? Well, everybody immediately, of course, because they're completely in the tank for Biden, obviously. Uh, you'll hear a montage of basically people demanding that we stop talking about that. Okay? You didn't mean what you said, no, what I'm you heard. I'm a little heard. revved up, okay? Because this is a distraction. Vice President Biden spoke uh, to his comments on the Breakfast Club. He apologized. He clarified. He said he shouldn't have been so cavalier. But we need to move on and talk about the issues and what's really at stake here. The vice president shouldn't have said it. He apologized for it. Uh, but I really think the gall and the nerve of President Trump. I believe that Joe Biden was incorrect in, in saying uh, the statement, you ain't black. Uh, but I also believe that his apology was sufficient. That apology was given swiftly. He was saying, I'm sorry, I was being too cavalier, I apologize. To his credit, Joe Biden recognized within minutes that he had gotten carried away. I think uh, he has apologized and he should have uh, apologized. It was like, you know, one of those jokes that just falls flat. It's almost the end of the interview and you need to understand the context. I mean, Biden made an error. He apologized for it and just move on. I mean, we, we can obsess on this, but this is, in, in the scheme of things, this is not going to amount to diddly squat. That's right. It's not going to amount to diddly I wish they were that way with uh, all apologies. Of course, we know they would never be. And uh, let's see what else do I got. Let's go to, I got a few from uh, Trump. Here he is saying... Which one is this? Sorry, guys, I have to move these tabs around so they don't open up in the app. Okay, and here, uh, let's finish up with Trump on the political roundup. And uh, remember, Trump was getting shit on earlier in the week because he kept tweeting like he was very highly suspicious about that dead woman that was found in then-Congressman Joe Scarborough's office years ago. Yeah, I've covered that in the past. And uh, anyway, Trump has been insinuating that uh, maybe there's more to the story. And it's funny because people, I, I did notice on Twitter, people kept saying, like, you can't accuse people of murder. and he's But he's, he didn't. I actually read the tweets. He's very careful. He, he's one of those, uh, and he's, he's doing what the media does. He's just like, hey, I'm just asking questions. I'm not saying anything happened or I'm not saying anything didn't happen. I'm just asking questions, <laughs> which, is, which is a great way to bring something up without taking a stand on it. So uh, a reporter, uh, one of the woke journalists, asked him about uh, about the tweets. So let's uh, hear this. The question was about your tweets about the, the woman who died, who you're suggesting that Joe Scarborough was responsible. Yeah, a lot of people suggest that. And uh, hopefully someday people are going to find out. Uh, certainly a very suspicious situation. Very sad. Very sad and very suspicious. Uh, question, please. <laughs> very sad and suspicious. Somebody ought to look into that. That's funny. Okay, let's go to the homeless beat. 
How about this? San Francisco's homeless deaths have tripled. Advocates blame city neglect during pandemic. Well, yeah, you know what? I'm so tired of of all the people I want to save from the coronavirus and help. They're fucking pretty low on my list on, of priorities. I'm saying they're. It's not that they. I have any dislike in helping them. I'm just saying, bro, with so many resources, uh, you're not uh, high on the priority list. But uh, from 30 March to 24 May, 48 people experiencing homelessness, as The Guardian writes, uh, did die in San Francisco. That is more than three times the 14 deaths recorded during this same period last year. Though some of those 48 tested positive near their time of death, their causes of deaths are still under investigation. And like I told you guys last week, these people's immune systems are shot because of the living in the elements and all the drugs and alcohol. And as I told you last week, the best way for you to have a healthy immune system and to not get sick from coronavirus is to have a healthy lifestyle. And what's a healthy lifestyle? Fucking eat right and exercise. The old two standbys. So a homeless, a vagrant, they don't have that. And so, yeah, a lot of them are going to die young. And I'm not going to fucking shell out. I have no interest in shelling out billions and billions of dollars in tax money to wait on these people hand and foot. You guys remember I did the story about how the city, San Francisco, is basically giving them room service for drugs and alcohol. They're, there's no sh- that does, Doesn't that sound idiotic and that I made it up when I say it out loud? They're literally dropping off booze, alcohol, uh, marijuana, and cigarettes to people in taxpayer-paid hotel rooms. And, oh, by the way, you're also paying for the booze and the marijuana. So I, I don't want to cater on them hand and foot, dude. You fucking made your bed. I've already given you my solution to the homeless crisis. You build giant warehouses on the outskirts of town or in that massive, 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 huge inland desert that we have. And you ship them all out there. They can have all the help they want if they choose to. If not, if they don't want to go, you arrest them for vagrancy over and over and over again until they get sick of it and move on. And that's all. I told you, I've done, how many stories have I done in the past where they don't want to be helped? They want to live their life and they want to be left alone. So that's the way you got to do it. You have to either incarcerate them against their will or just keep arresting them and hassling them until they get tired of it and move on. Do you ever wonder why fucking some cities have vagrants and some don't? Do you ever wonder why maybe Beverly Hills, you don't see a lot of homeless tents? And then you go to downtown LA and you see all the homeless tents? Do you ever fucking wonder why that is? It's not rocket science because the Beverly Hills police tell them to move along. And they enforce vagrancy laws. That's why. Speaking of the homeless... Now, this is, this is bad. I mean, I'm against the vagrants. This is terrible. But they, uh, arrests have been made one by one person after eight homeless people were given poisoned food, which sent several to the hospital. Uh, the poisonings occurred over the course of about a week in mid-May in Huntington Beach. That's in Orange County, uh, south of L.A. The victims were given food laced with oleoresin capsium which is twice as strong as the pepper spray used by the police, and their reactions to the poisoned food were filmed. Oh, okay, so it's for fucking likes on social media. (laughs) Idiot. They suffered a variety of symptoms, including seizure-like symptoms, difficulty breathing, vomiting, and intense mouth and stomach pain. 
there were no deaths reported, luckily. And But somebody's going to jail for that one. Very good. All right, let's go to the penetration uh, news beat here. You guys know I like that. How about this headline? Man, 68, has a 10-inch chopstick stuck in his belly after inserting it into his anus out of curiosity. <laughs> I'll give you two, I'll give you one guess what country this is in. And if you've been listening to the podcast, you probably know which one. Yes, it was China. They're always jamming stuff into their orifices there. 68, dude, and you're jamming fucking objects up your ass. Come on now. Uh, he claimed that he was interested in checking his backside after developing hemorrhoids. Well, doctors took an x-ray. After the man had gone to a hospital for severe abdominal pain, I'm looking at the x-ray right now. It's fucking classic. Oh, he went with the big end first. The chopstick is tapered. Yeah, he jammed that big end up there. Right, right up there. Ugh. The patient had been discharged from the hospital. Media reports did not specify the chopstick's length, but Chinese chopsticks is typically about 25 centimeters or 10 inches long. They actually have video footage. You can see the chopstick stuck in his belly, and it can be seen moving up and down slightly as he breathes. Uh, and it was made out of metal, so very good. All right, and he's not the only one on the penetration beat. Uh, let us go to what country is this? This would be, uh, this is on one of these private websites. So, uh, it looks like India and <laughs> doctors at the Naga Patanam hospital on May 27th got an x-ray of a 29 year old patient who had arrived with complaints of pain in his rectum and anxiety. Well, they took x-rays, and they pretty much saw what the source of the discomfort was. It was a 250-milliliter glass bottle lodged in his colon. The patient, whose name is being withheld, claimed to have been inebriated when he inserted the bottle into his anal canal himself, following which it entered the rectum. His attempts soon after to remove it failed, and he managed to push it further up into his system. The patient did not reveal to the matter to his family and remained in pain for two days before he, he threw in the towel and uh, said enough of this. So they gave the patient anesthesia, made him unconscious, and they managed to remove the bottle in a two-hour surgery. <laughs> so he still has uh, tears caused by the bottle. You guys, stop doing this. stop doing this stuff. Come on now. Uh, you won't listen. You're going to continue to jam things into your rectum, aren't you? Yeah, I know. All right. Let's see what else I got here. Oh, my iPad's been really buggy today, you guys. The fucking, I keep telling you, it's enraging. I mean, you know, I don't, I'm thinking my iPad is now about what? Like two, it's probably like two to, it's like two and a half years old. I mean, that should not be that old. Uh, but who knows? Okay, I love the uh, race videos and the, the confrontations, and I do have a couple of them for you. Let's start with the white man who accused the African-American men in his gym 
of uh, not being supposed to be there. And he was a venture capitalist. And this was in Austin. I'm sorry, Minneapolis. <laughs> wow, Minneapolis. How about that? And this is one day after the death of George Floyd. So everybody's already all pissed off, right? So this venture capitalist threatened to call 911 on a group of African-American entrepreneurs working out in a Minneapolis gym. He was filmed challenging the men, telling them, I'm a tenant here. Are you? Before threatening to call the police. Like, like what do you fucking care, dude? Honestly. So I do have the clip here, and I am now going to play the clip and uh, of this man, and they're asking him, like, dude, what are you even picking on us for? Let's see how this What'd you say we can't do? I'm Tom Austin. I'm a tenant in the building. Are you? We're all tenants in this building. What office? So we have an office here, and this guy came accusing us we can't be here. What office are you in? Don't worry about that. We don't have to tell you anything. Call 911 now. Go ahead. Okay, so they called 911. Nicole? Hey, this is Tom Austin. I'm here in the gym. There's the whole. I don't know what to do here, but there's a whole bunch of people who don't appear to be part of the. Y'all see this racism here? Okay, so there you go. He called the cops on him for using his gym. Like, fucking, what do you care, dude? Some guys are using the gym in your building. I the, the, the white liberal. I guarantee you that guy is a fucking liberal too. The white liberal man. You got to watch out for him. I keep telling you guys. And uh, let's see a few other clips. Oh, I promised this one. The. Uh, the the, uh, the the two Karens, the Battle of the Karens. This was in New York City where a bird watcher got pissed off because a woman had her dog off a leash. So he's kind of a Karen himself. Uh, and then she basically was so scared of his, this black man telling him to get her dog on a leash that she uh, threatened to call the cops on him and uh, said he's going to have arrested. So let's listen to this clip right now. Here we go. Would you please stop? Sorry, I'm asking you to stop. Please don't come close to me. Sir, I'm asking you to stop recording me. Please don't come close to me. Please take your phone off. Please don't come close to me. Please, please call the cops. Please call the cops. I'm going to tell them there's an African-American man threatening my life. Please tell them whatever you like. Excuse me. So she's calling 911, choking the shit out of her dog. Dog is like gasping for air. Sorry, I'm in the ramble, and there is a man, African American, who's a bicycle helmet. He's recording me and threatening me and my dog. There is an African American man. I am in Central Park. He is recording me and threatening myself and my dog. <laughs> and my. I'm sorry, I can't hear you. I'm being threatened by a man in the ramble. Please send the cops immediately. Thank you. All right, that's the end of the video. So then uh, the cops came and she was shit all over. She got fired from her job and, and, and all the rest of it. So I don't know when you guys are going to stop doing this. All right, uh, what else do I have here? Oh, this was funny too. I tweeted this out at Bravo Kilo Actual. Did you guys see the fucking stupid reporter? And I loved that this guy did this because. Have you seen the reporters on TV out in like they're they're like out in like 80, 90 degree weather and they're still wearing masks like dummies? Fortunately, that's kind of going away. 
and they're, it's just for show, right? Because everybody has to be PC now with the stupid masks on. Uh, just a side note, I was watching the live feed of the riots in Minneapolis, and I saw stupid Josh Campbell from CNN, and he was trying to wear a bandana, finally, and finally he, it kept slipping down his face, and finally he was like, fuck it, and he ripped it off, and he started talking normally. I'm like, bro, you're surrounded by thousands of rioters and toxic flames and smoke. I, I think the fucking COVID is the last thing you have to worry about. Anyway, so this MSNBC reporter is out here trying to shame people for not wearing masks. And then a guy walks by and says, yeah, including your cameraman and half your crew, that you're not wearing masks. So let's listen. So are the people there just not worried about it, Cal? Are they not worried about their own personal safety? I haven't met anybody who is. I met some folks actually from Lake Geneva who lived in the area. They were staying a few miles outside of town where I were. And they said they're worried about it. They're worried about that second spike. They're worried about folks coming in from Chicago. But they'll quickly add at the same time, this is a place that relies on that business. I think people here want a little bit more funding when it comes to these programs so that they could stay closed. But again, I think people felt like the Supreme Court made the decision here in Wisconsin that it was time to open up. But you can see here, just around. Nobody's wearing them. Nobody's, uh, there you go, including the cameraman. Yeah. Katie? (laughs) He throws his hands up in the air like, yeah, you fucking got me with that one. Oh, that's funny. Okay, let's see what else I got going on here. I just want to make sure I haven't, uh, missed any of the good audio clips i know you guys like that uh okay well quickly since we're i talked about the coronavirus you might have noticed i did not do a coronavirus update at the top for a very uh long time uh but just a quick roundup Uh, most cities are starting to open up uh, for sure but global infections are close to about six million Uh, let me go ahead and just uh quickly Crack open the worldometers.info website to get a live number. And the coronavirus case count worldwide is 6,115,887 documented cases with 369,574 deaths. And the United States now has uh, 105,521 deaths. That is totally crazy. And it's great. You know, the... a shitload of them are basically from the top five countries. Um, if you look at it, the uh, if you look at the top five, it's New York with almost thirty thousand, New Jersey with eleven thousand six hundred, Massachusetts with six thousand seven hundred, Pennsylvania with five thousand five hundred, and Michigan with five thousand four hundred. What is that? Let me just do a quick. It's like thirty forty one thousand. Uh, 47,000, 57,000. So almost half of the deaths are from the top five states. So uh, that's pretty crazy, man. I'm not going to lie. I never thought I'd see the day where a, vi- where, where a virus killed that many people. But again, like I've kind of told you, the uh, the people have clearly decided, and definitely after all the riots, uh, people have just kind of decided that uh, they're over it, and um, it's kind of uh, they're they're over it, and we're just, we got to get back to normal at one point. And now that everybody's like out in the streets, rise, you know, rioting, then they said uh, fuck it, which they should be doing. Oh, and uh, also just coronavirus updates. The U.S. Supreme Court turned away a request from a church in California to block enforcement of straight restrictions on attendance at religious services. 
The vote was 5-4 to four with Chief Justice John Roberts Jr., yeah, who joined the court's four-member liberal wing to form a majority. So basically, they said, yes, California can stop churches from having attendance at their religious services, or at least put great restrictions upon them. Now, in defiance of the court's ruling, a contingent of California evangelical churches said they would hold services in person on Sunday morning without regard to potential violations of state limits on attendance, including in Fresno, uh, Fontana, and a couple places. Now, they, they are kind of complying somewhat. For example, the Water of Life Community Church in Fontana said that they have a church occupancy of 3,200. Well, they're going to go for 10%. They're only going to have 320 people there. But that still exceeds the state's guidelines, allowing no more than 100 congregants. So there you go. We'll see. Wouldn't it be funny if the fucking cops like raided the place like a SWAT team when when they allowed, you know, when they allow like mass looting and rioting? Uh, probably. All right, what else? Oh, this one. There's outrage as a new law in South Africa where the South African government has in- announced a proposed amendment to schedule one of the Meat Safety Act. Right, And this happened back in February, but uh, it's in the news now. They say that this law change could enable animals to be eaten, and some speculate it may be part of a broader plan to add more creatures to the menu and to launch a rare meat industry for international markets. So the proposed amendment has been put out in the public for comment. And... What they're concerned with, because they said there's, they're, on this act, there's an inclusion of 33 wild species, including rhinos, giraffes, elephants, and hippos, that appear to make it legal for animal slaughter, consumption, import, export, and sale. So, yeah, they're saying that, uh, you know, basically they can put elephants and giraffes uh, out there for meat eating. And as you guys know, elephants, very high on the animal hierarchy, as are rhinos and hippos. Giraffes, yeah, yeah, they're high. Not as high as the elephants, but uh, giraffes are very cool. So I'm not. I'm totally not down with that. You know what I was, this was another thing I was pondering the other day, you guys. I went to the store and I went to fucking, you know, I've been trying to eat healthy and I, wanted, I was going to buy buffalo, except buffalo is very expensive. And I know there's been like a concerted effort to bring back the buffalo herds. And I'm, I'm wondering where we are with that and why hasn't it happened? Like, you know, because back in the Wild West days, there was like, you know, millions and millions of buffalo roaming the plains. Uh, you know, the Indians would schwack a few. And then, of course, uh, you know, the white settlers came in and started making industry out of it, wiped out a lot of the herds, wasted a lot. And there, there's been a movement to, like, bring these buffalo herds back. And I just wonder what the hang-up is. Because it should be much cheaper at this point. And if you didn't know, buffalo meat is far superior as far as nutrition and health uh, for you to consume. So, anyway, just a brief side note there. Okay. let's. How much time do I have left? All right. About a little bit. Okay, let's keep going. How about this? Uh, three young Bolivian brothers were hospitalized after getting a black widow spider to bite them, thinking it would turn them into Spider-Man. <laughs> I, 
I so identify with this. These siblings, ages 12, 10, and 8, found a black widow spider while herding goats. And then thinking it would give them superhero powers, they prodded it with a stick until it beat bit each of them in turn. So they started crying, and the mom rushed them to a nearby health center. And they had to go to the children's hospital with fevers, tremors, and muscle pains. Uh, fortunately, they're going to be okay, but I can definitely sympathize. I, too, kids, would, would love to be Spider-Man as well. So, Oh, let's see. You guys know I like the archaeology. Ancient Israelites burned cannabis as part of their religious rituals, an archaeological study has found. A well-preserved substance found in a 2,700-year-old temple in Tel Arad has been identified as cannabis. Researchers conclude that the cannabis may have been burned in order to induce a high among worshippers. This is among the first evidence of psychotropic drugs being used in early Jewish worship. This temple in Tel Arad was first discovered in the Negev Desert, which is about 59 miles south of Tel Aviv in the 1960s. So they found two limestone altars that had been buried within this shrine. And thanks in part to the dry climate and the burying, the remains of burnt offerings were preserved on top of these altars. They took a sample, and frankincense was found on one altar, which was not that surprising because of its prominence in the Holy Bible and other texts. But on the second altar, yes, they found tetrahydrocannabinol, or THC, uh, found in cannabis. It was found in the second altar. So they think uh, now that these cannabis plants may have played a role in that early Jewish worship. That's very cool. Okay, I mentioned Grinder earlier, and you guys know I like the Grinder. A uh, Ector County. Where is Ector County? Does the paper say huge pet peeve of mine? No, they don't. So Ector County could be fucking anywhere in the United States, and I don't know where it is. But an Ector County Sheriff's Office affidavit detailed a 35-year-old man sexually assaulted a 15-year-old boy after they met on Grinder. <laughs> he was Estevan Valdivies Jr., 35, was charged with sexual assault of a child. Somebody called it in around 1.23 a.m. Uh, the victim's mother told deputies that her 15-year-old son had taken off with a man in an 18-wheeler who they later identified as Valdivies. And then the investigation showed that uh, the boy had met him on Grinder. The boy said to the deputies that he's known this guy for a while, and since he's known them, they have had sexual intercourse twice, bro. <laughs> uh, I've asked it a couple times. I'm going to ask it again, dude. You're 15, and you're on Grinder getting banged out by older dudes. Like, where did it all go wrong? I'm just guessing. Huge speculation on my part. I noticed there was a mother mentioned. I'm just fucking guessing that there was not a father present. I don't know. How about this? The uh, Forbes pointed out their 2020 list of highest paid global athletes. And the highest paid athlete in the world was... For the first time leading this lineup, Roger Federer, the tennis player, of course, with pre-tax earnings of $106.3 million U.S. 
that does include appearance fees, endorsement deals, et cetera. As a matter of fact, Federer, it's almost all that. Out of that $106.3 million, $100 million of it is from endorsement deals and appearance fees with the $6.3 million left over in prize money. And they say this guy is one of those like scandal-free dudes so far, uh, and so he's really like desired. Second on the list, you guys got any guesses? How about Portuguese football star Cristiano Ronaldo at $105 million. His was a little more even. He had $60 million in salary and $45 million endorsements. And number third on the list was Argentine soccer player Lionel Messi with $104 million. Another football player, uh, soccer player made fourth. That was uh, Neymar, the Brazilian soccer player. And then finally, an American made the list at number five, and that was NBA star LeBron James with $88.2 million. Uh, Stephen Curry was right behind him, number six, with $74.4 million. After him was former teammate Kevin Durant with $63.9 million. And then, uh, yeah, still at it, Tiger Woods was number eighth on the list. And at $62.3 million. And of that $62.3, 60 of it, $60 million of it was uh, from endorsements. You know, Tiger Woods was number one on that list a record 12 times. Uh, this was prior to the infidelity scandal he had. And just rounding out the top 10, we had two NFL quarterbacks. Kirk Cousins, really? Was number nine at $60.5 million, And Carson Wentz, number 10 at $59 million. Man, these guys, the fucking money they're making. I should have been a pro soccer player. I really should have been. Uh, quickly, let's see, what else do I have? A um, huge post-coronavirus orgy is being planned to end the longest dry spell in all of history, and this is supposed to take place in uh, Philadelphia. Oh, apparently it's some kind of joke. But a couple recently posted 30 flyers advertising an Avengers-themed post-pandemic pan-Philadelphia orgy around their South Philly neighborhood. And it started as a joke, but the pair have received so many inquiries, they now intend to actually host it. So, according to the couple, an engineer and a sex therapist, quote, the orgy is on, end quote. Neither one of them have ever attended an orgy. Boy, they're just throwing themselves right into it, huh? Uh, Bob, the husband, the guy, the husband of the couple, he's 25 and he says, quote, I identify as heterosexual, but open to new experiences, end quote. Okay. Well, you're gay. Okay. You guys know the rule. You're either like penis or you do not like penis. Those are the only two categories. Okay. So which one are you, Bob? Come on, we have like 57 genders and a bazillion different sexual preferences. So at the end of the day, it comes down to two. You like penis, do not like penis. All right, uh, quickly. Oh, let's hear from uh, OJ, my man, OJ Simpson. He goes on Twitter and makes videos, which you guys know I love. He objected to Mark Furman, his former tormentor at the famous OJ Simpson trial, going on Fox News as a witness. So OJ decided to make a video. Let's hear what he says. Here. Hey, Twitter world. Hey, Twitter world. I just got home from, you know, playing golf and kind of hanging out after with some of, the, uh, some of my guys. And 
By the time I got home, I had so many uh, text messages, I couldn't pick them up. <laughs> you know, uh, people are calling me and said, OJ, are you looking at Fox News? Uh, somebody named um, Ingram, Laura Ingram. They said, can you believe that she has Mark Furman on as a guest talking about this subject? This subject. The same Mark Furman who um, we heard on, I think, 33 occasions say things like all niggas should be put in a hole and burnt if it was up to him. Uh, he loved the smell of Rampart Station because it smelled like dead niggers. And just tons of just horrible, horrible stuff. And Fox think this is the guy that should be on TV talking about this subject. I'm just saying. Take care. Yeah, they, uh, yeah, you know what? I hate to say it, but fucking OJ's kind of got a little, a little bit of a point there. It's kind of, kind of not really who I'm thinking of if I'm talking about, uh, you know, police, uh, African American relations. All right. Uh, this was very cool for the first time. An electric plane, an all electric plane took to the skies. Yeah, this is the world's largest all-electric aircraft, and it did make its maiden flight this week as it flew for 30 minutes over Washington State. A solo test pilot took off in the nine-seater plane and flew over Moses Lake in Washington State, followed by a small chase plane, and yeah, they, uh, they flew around for half an hour. Uh, to develop the plane, the team took a Cessna Grand Caravan, one of the most used medium-range planes in the world, and retrofitted an electric engine. And for the flight test, the electric plane took off, climbed to 2,500 feet, dropped to 1,000 feet, and then spent 25 minutes cruising over the large airport facility. Man, there's just going to be like everything is going to be electric. All right, how about this headline? Pennsylvania woman, 61 years old, kept grandmother's corpse in a freezer for 15 years so she could collect the dead woman's social security checks. 61-year-old Cynthia Black allegedly stored her grandmother's body in a freezer from 2004 to 2019 so she could claim her benefits. And the grandmother, Glenora Delahaye, the body was found last February by two women looking at a foreclosed home in Pennsylvania. They discovered it and wrapped in garbage bags and sheets in an outhouse freezer. Oh, God, can you imagine opening up? Oh, what's in this freezer? Dang. So after 15 months of investigating, Black was arrested on Tuesday for abuse of a corpse, theft by unlawful taking, and receiving stolen property. And she had lived in the home with uh, Glenn Black, 55 years old, who ran a furniture business there. Now, Delahaye had passed away in 2004 at the age of 97, so when Black found her dead, she stored the body in the basement freezer so then she could claim all these benefits. Now, it's unclear how much she pocketed, but from 2001 to 2010 alone, $186,000 was paid to her. So she definitely fucking made out pretty good. All right. Tell you guys about the Walmart and Ocala. Where's Ocala? Florida. Great. An Ocala man has been arrested and accused of stealing items from a Walmart and then following multiple a women multiple women around the business while masturbating. Surveillance video showed him 
entering the store and a loss prevention employee recognized, uh, what's this guy's name? Jovanek Miller from previous theft cases and started watching him. So he's seen placing several items into a shopping cart. And then in the camera shows Miller exposing himself behind an elderly woman and masturbating. And he followed the women to different aisles. He would stop near the victim and touch himself. <laughs> During a two-hour stretch. Two, what is this? What's the guy in the camera doing? Two hours you let this go on? During a two-hour stretch, the 41-year-old man followed at least seven elderly women and masturbated near or behind the unsuspecting victims. He was apprehended when he tried leaving the store without paying for $243.36 worth of mer merchandise. Uh, he is denying exposing himself. That's great. He is the third man taken into custody within the past few days in Ocala on charges of public exposure. Oh, God, here's another. This story is almost better. Eric Truesdell, 39, was accused of urinating on a display of children's item on Tuesday at the Walgreens. He had opened packages of gummy bears and crackers while, ate, while he ate them in the store, as well as urinating on them. And then they arrested 24-year-old Bradley Eibach of Jacksonville and accused him of spitting, pointing a firearm, punching himself, and punching and exposing himself while at a campground. Just stay out of Florida is the lesson here. Uh, this one, guys, according to various, various German media, emergency services in Berlin found a man severely bleeding in the bushes of a garden. And why was he bleeding? Well, the drunk victim had reportedly cut off his own penis before throwing it away. It took the man three attempts to cut off his genitals, and no, the emergency services and police did not manage to find the discarded penis in the bushes. So he is without the penis now. That's too bad. All right. Uh, Kylie Jenner is facing criminal investigation and even jail over a web of lies surrounding her company's value after Forbes claimed she faked billionaire status. Top financial fraud attorney reveals. I think I might have covered that when it happened. Because I remember she was on the Forbes billionaire list, but she was kicked off the list. And the Daily Mail claims that financial filings with the Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC, show that she may have been lying about the success of her cosmetics firm. And that's against the law. The controversy has exploded around a $1.2 billion deal for Jenner's Kylie Cosmetics, in which she sold a 51% stake to makeup giant Coty for $600 million. C-O-T-Y? I don't know how you pronounce it. So Forbes downgraded Kylie's net worth from more than a billion dollars to just under $900 million, claiming the family likely showed them tax returns with false numbers. And one top attorney said if a federal investigation found Kylie had committed financial fraud, she could face jail time and fines of staggering amounts. Mm. Why not? Okay, I'll tell you what. In, in lieu of punishment, uh, you can uh, send Kylie Jenner here to San Diego, and I will, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll be her chaperone, okay, in lieu of punishment. 
A drunk 70-year-old priest decapitated a man as a sacrifice to end the coronavirus pandemic after smoking marijuana in India. Sansari Oha from the Brahmani Devi Temple cut off 52-year-old Saroj Kumar Pradhan's head. (laughs) The Hindu priest killed the man to appease a goddess. He beheaded Pradhan with an axe at one in the morning in the temple shrine after an argument. Uh, He said Oha claimed that he was ordered by a goddess in his dream to sacrifice a human in order to bring an end uh, to the pandemic. No word uh, if that was successful, but last I checked, uh, India is still undergoing a severe pandemic, so probably not. Uh, Quickly, finishing up, a New York City man claims he was raped as a teen by the director of the NYPD, the New York City Police Department Youth Program, and he is suing the city for $20 million that he was raped by the director of the Sea Safari Cadets in the 1970s. And Albert, all the names are here, Alfredo Donez claims that Gilberto Maldonado preyed on him for a year while he was 13 years old. And yes, sadly, if it's true, the abuse included fondling, masturbating, and raping. That's terrible. All right. And quickly, do I have anything else I fucking really want to get to here? Uh, Let's... All right, let's go to... I did that one already. Oh, quickly. Uh, This was great. Why California is in trouble. You know why they're in trouble financially? Uh, Especially now with our $54 billion budget deficit thanks to the coronavirus? Well, we've had a long-time pension problem here, and this is a great number. Guess how many government employees are bringing home a six-figure either salary or pension? Okay, they're either making six figures or they're making six figures as a pension. You know how many government employees total for the state? 340,390 government employees, current and retired, are bringing home at least six figures in salary and pension check. That's insane. An auditor at this Forbes article, auditors from openthebooks.com, it's like an advocacy group, found truck drivers in San Francisco making $159,000 a year, lifeguards in L.A. County costing taxpayers $365,000 a year, uh, nurses at a UC making up to $500,000, the UCLA athletic director earning $1.8 million, and there are 1,420 city employees in the state of California that are out-earning all 50 state governors at at least $200,000. So if you want to know why we're headed for a huge clusterfuck, there you go. And then finally, you guys, since I'm uh, running out of time, and let's get to the big finish headline. Officials, Aiken, man. Where's Aiken? South Carolina. Aiken woman and husband charged after child porn investigation unearths evidence of sex act with a horse. Yes, a Aiken woman and her husband are both being charged with buggery after a child porn investigation led to the uncovering of that act. A forensic investigation of electronics in an unrelated case unearthed evidence of the act with a horse on two separate occasions in May 19th and June 2019. 
Oh, no. Okay, so they're not really describing the act, but I'm saying if it's buggery, buggery by definition is penetrating an anus. So I know, I'm sorry. And uh, the sheriff's spokesman came out and said, quote, the vet came out and confirmed that the mayor had been sexually molested, end quote. And that's what they're doing out there in Aiken, South Carolina, guys, and that's fucking all I got for you. That's two and a half hours, bros. Straight through, no breaks, no editing. Really appreciate you guys. Uh, please check me out on Twitter for all that breaking news, at Bravo Kilo Actual. And if you support the podcast, please consider going to patreon.com. Look for BK Actual and make a donation today. It's the way I do it. Uh, I try to get back to all you guys who, who message me on there and, and make a pledge and just tell you how much I appreciate it. And I couldn't do this without you. I would have stopped doing it a long time ago. And it makes me keep going. So big thanks to you. Go hit that Patreon, even if it's a dollar a month, man. That's all I need. For all this, all the two and a half hours, I mean, come on. You can't get any more entertainment than that. Uh, so that's going to do it for me, you guys. I'll see you next week. Everybody fucking chill out with the riots. We need cops, okay? We're not going to fucking abandon the police, and we're not going to abandon our cities. Uh, let's make a change, though. Let's have better law enforcement training and some get some people in there who understand empathy and correct use of force, and most of all, who aren't afraid of the community they're supposed to be policing. And enough said on that. That's my little soapbox speech. That's going to do it for me. I will see you next week. When my gun out, everybody goes down. Heard on the street, these boys get gutter. I got my black suit on. We get malicious hands on, checking in for the squad. He on his pivot, got the big guns. Make him disappear, call the wizard, will oblige.